Hello and welcome to the Wingnet Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond. Personally, I have been to 50 countries. I've met so many people in my travels that I want to bring them on this podcast and get their story on record. I have plenty of tips and stories to share with you as well. Are you a backpacker or a traveller or gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. Throughout the weeks and months, you'll get many guests and solo episodes where I try to cover all range of subjects within travel. This is a casual and informative travel podcast to inspire you to travel in the future. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening and supporting this. And I'll see you soon. Cheers, James. Hello and welcome to the Winning Travel Podcast. And this week I'm joined by Ted Craig for episode number 64. And Ted has travelled the world extensively. And today we talk mostly about Canada. And we also touch on New Zealand and Australia that he travelled to. And we also talk about his podcasting endeavours. Um, he has a few podcasts on the go. One with the multipod Puttyverse, which is like a collection of people who have multiple jobs and careers and do podcasts about that sort of genre. He also has a travel podcast called Travel Podcast of the World, as well as a podcast about Morocco. So we go into his travels and we go real deep dive into Canada. So we cover a lot of provinces like British Columbia, Alberta, Newfoundland and Labrador, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, Quebec, Ontario. We, we go through pretty much all the provinces and he tells us the best places to go because he's a travel guide for the last 10 years in various places in Canada so he has a great knowledge in terms of where to go and what to see and we also get to hear about what he plans to do next with podcasting and also travel update this week is that I have got my stickers so they'll be going on Etsy to buy and I will be also doing some competitions to send them out to people who enter the competition so keep an eye out for my social media for that Instagram again will be the main one you can also probably find that on Twitter And don't forget, you can follow me on those social media channels too. I've also got some cracking episodes lined up for May and June. I've had a real super busy week. I've probably got in like 10 to 12 hours of interviews this week in preparation for my self-proclaimed holiday, which I'm having in June, where I'm going back to the UK for a little bit for a wedding and also doing the Camino Trail, one of the trails in Spain. So I've got enough interviews in the bank to have a bit of time off. It won't be fully vacation mode because I'll be doing some social media stuff obviously releasing the podcast but I'm also thinking about doing a podcast series on the Camino I'm still trying to work out the logistics about that but I think I'm going to take my few microphones with me with, with my couple of friends and I'm probably going to do like a daily diary um, for you for that week so that'll be a new thing in the middle of June where I'm probably going to do every day but little snippets of the day of the walk how it's been challenges the good things the bad things etc so I'm thinking about that at the minute yet to get my digital travel planner on Etsy there's been a bit of a snag so I'm working through that at the minute also don't forget you can support my podcast buy me a coffee you can go there with links on social media or you can buy some merch too and there's lots of stuff to buy on there so yeah it's been a good week I was pretty ill last week so I've recovered pretty well and we set to go again with Ted tomorrow and the week after we've got Johnny Bilby from Wild Frontiers who was super interesting over 100 countries travelled, so many stories. I could have talked to them about five hours. So that's going to be a week tomorrow too. And I'll catch you soon and safe travels. And I'd love to hear your stories. Get in contact. Cheers. Let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to the Winging It Travel Podcast, where today I'm joined by Ted Craig from the Travel Podcast, The World Podcast. Ted is also the producer of the group podcast, The Multipod, which profiles the Puttyverse online community and the Destination Morocco podcast which talks about travel to and around Morocco. Ted is a tour guide and operator since 2007 and is based in Quebec in Canada. He has lived in UK, New Zealand and Australia 
and has also traveled to Southeast Asia, Europe, India, Canada, and the US. We're going to discuss quite a bit of Canada today and maybe some of those international destinations and of course his podcasting expertise. Ted, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, thanks. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. <laughs> and as we're recording right now, actually, my podcast episode guest appearance on yours is released today. That's right? true. Yeah, well, yeah, this week is a bit of coincidence, but yeah, it's the same time. All oh, right, nice. And um, how did you find that went? I think I went okay. Yeah, it was great. It's really good conversation. We really got into some of the deeper stuff, you know, the meaning of travel, why people travel, uh, and making the most of your time, the opportunities, because we'll probably touch on this today. Most of my travels were quite a few years ago now, before I had kids, before I had a mortgage and a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping to get back into some of that, but it'll be different with kids in tow now. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a good conversation, you know, getting into some of the deeper topics, I guess. Yeah, I think I learned a lot from travel yeah. and just maybe podcasting stuff. I think yeah, I yeah. maybe surprise you with a few things I don't do with podcasts, <laughs> but no dramas, no dramas. It's so good market research for me too. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which we'll come to uh, later in the show. Um, can you tell the people where you're based? Yeah, well, this is a, another a complicated question because right now I live in Gatineau, which is in Quebec, but in Western Quebec, across the river from Ottawa, like Ottawa's uh, 15 minute uh-huh. drive away. So I'm in Quebec, but not for much longer. I mean, not here for much longer. Uh, next week, our, my wife and I are putting our house on the market, and uh, we expect it to sell pretty fast. We're going to move to a place called Trois-Rivières, which is between Montreal and Quebec City. So that's about a four-hour drive from here, about 300 or so kilometers, mm-hmm. uh, basically because that's where she's from. Uh, her family's around that area. And we've been thinking about doing this for you know quite a few years, even before a pandemic and stuff. Just we uh, neither of us are from this region here where we are. So, okay. yeah, we, we've been here for about eight years. But we figured, well, you know, do we really want to stay here the rest of our lives? Um, most she's got a wonderful family, big family, and we we spend as much time with them as we can. So it's kind of like if we're going to move before the kids get much older, they're four and six years old, before they get into school, lots of friends and all that. Mm-hmm. And now's a good time to move. So, are you from Quebec as well? No, I'm from Ontario. So I'm from Ontario, right? I got it. <laughs> okay, because my next question was, can you speak French? Oh, oui, oui, oui. Il oh, you can. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I, I cannot speak French, so I don't even know what I meant. Um, okay. I'm, I'm sure it's family friendly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, you're based in Quebec just because uh, that's where your partner's from. And do you yeah. prefer, I mean, this might be a hard question, do you prefer Quebec to Ontario? Well, I do now. I don't know. I mean, I really decided to make it my home, uh, which is a big choice because I did have to learn a second language. So yes. although I do speak French, I'm definitely functional in French and fairly fluent, but I'm not a native speaker by any means. I grew up in uh, Peterborough, Ontario, which is northeast of Toronto. Um, and Peterborough is as anglophone as any place in Canada, basically west of Quebec. So you don't hear really any French. I mean, some kids are in French immersion and stuff like that, but you don't get the chance to really practice and apply any French that you use unless you're in Quebec or Eastern Ontario. New Brunswick is fairly bilingual, little pockets around the country, mm. but Quebec is, you know, very, very much majority Francophone. My wife's family, they barely speak any words of English, really. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to get into that. You know, I, I'm always, I always enjoy, and it's a, it's a kind of a, perspective for me talking to people explaining Quebec because people may think well yeah sure people speak French but they speak English too right that's what I think yeah 
only really in Montreal and, you know, Quebec City, a couple other little corners. But I mean, unless it's demanded for your work or something, most people, they, they really only speak French or pretty basic uh, English. So, yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, this is my perspective growing up is I only spoke English. I learned a bit of French in school. Yeah. But my wife uh, and I, we met in 2007 in the Rockies in uh, Alberta <clears throat> doing summer jobs. Um, she was there to practice her English. Um, so when we met, our relationship was very much in English. <laughs> yeah, of course. And yeah, it yeah. stayed that way for about five years on and off. And we did a whole bunch of travel and all this. She's a teacher, though. So she, by eventually she finished school, university, started her career. And, you know, as couples do, you get to a point, well, when are we going to settle down? Are we going to stay together? Where are we going to be? She had a job and a career lined up in Quebec. So it was up to me to decide, well, you know, am I ready to move to Quebec and, uh, <laughs> and apprendre le français, learn French? So, so I said, yeah, I mean, that wasn't like a hard, it wasn't a hard decision. And I'd always been really interested in Quebec and everything. But when you don't speak the language, it's like, are you really, really ready to do it? So I dove in. So I learned French as really mu very much as an adult. I was 30, 31 years old and just, you know, like right back to the basics, uh, just hanging around with her family and trying to pick up the dialect and everything. Mm -hmm. Eventually I got to the stage. I could do some volunteering in town where we lived at the time, like in the local food bank and stuff, just to like get out of the house and be immersed. My first job was at Sears department store, like stocking okay. shelves. And I'm doing this when I'm like 31, 32 years old, <laughs> minimum wage working yeah, with yeah. 18, 17 year olds. But I is a job and uh, just all to learn French. <laughs> and how long did it take? Do you think for you to maybe I, become basic to yeah you, know, you can function now and, and you're okay with it well this is a, another good question because eventually i got a job as a tour director uh for high school kids i was employed by a travel agency in quebec in quebec uh most of the high schools they would do uh annual trips to english places to toronto usually like new york boston washington places mm -hmm. like this and really just for the immersion, just to kind of be exposed to English. And they weren't there for any other kind of educational thing or like a music fest or anything. It's really just to go on a trip to get out of Quebec. And this is quite a structured thing in the province. So they would need a tour director, a guide to just kind of chaperone and deal with the border and checking in hotels. And the teachers would be there, but they wouldn't necessarily speak a lot of English either. Mm -hmm. So I was hired to do this because this is my background. I was a tour guide for years. And that ended up being like my big test because I'd be on the bus chaperoning these groups of, you know, 40, 50 high school kids and their teachers to like Boston, New York, having to translate everything, having to oh, explain yeah. everything in French. And at the same time, you know, talking to other people in English, like at the hotels and stuff. And like that was when I was really on the spot. And like sometimes <laughs> we go to museums or attractions and I'd have to translate on the spot and like and i did it, it as you know i i got through it and the teachers were happy and like that was a moment that was uh, then a couple years after i'd been in quebec about a year and a half i guess and i knew at that point i was functional like i could do it and ever since like you know you've become more and more comfortable for sure that's the ultimate test isn't it when you yeah um, translate to someone else so you're switching yep. in your mind between instantly really english yeah, for, sure. just, for any language is crazy i <laughs> it is impressive to see whatever language yeah. that happens in yeah yeah and you realize how much you know really yeah and, yeah, and yeah where you came from originally in ontario mm. i met two people traveling in bangkok in thailand they're from north bay if you okay yeah yeah you know north bay is quite it's a real small town i think it's very small yeah yeah um, big lake. about yeah. four hours north of toronto i think it's at least, to visit yeah. for a weekend 
Yeah. It's uh, North Bay, be maybe three hours northwest of Ottawa, where I am now. Ottawa okay. Yeah. yeah. An interesting little town. I think it's the type of place where everyone knows each other. Yeah. And, it's funny because yeah. it's considered a, a relatively large, almost city for like Northern Ontario. Oh, okay. But I mean, it's like maybe 40, I'll have to look it up, 40, 50,000 people maybe in North Bay. But yeah. it's a major regional hub. I mean, you don't have a lot of big cities really in Northern Ontario. So, And that's the one thing I want to actually come to is about Canada. And it's hard to explain to people, even back <laughs> home in UK where it's so small, yeah. that we have much larger places cause, just because of the population, right? And yeah. that's the thing about Canada. Vancouver is obviously almost an outpost. I mean, you've got, you've got the island of Victoria. Mm-hmm. But when we go east towards yeah. like Calgary, I mean, there is really nothing. I mean, it's the Rockies <laughs> and that's it. Don't tell them that. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's, there's places, like, but everything's there's so Rebel out. Stoke and it's nice and like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not hubs, I would say. Well, it's it's hubs in Canadian terms. Okay. So you would know places like Kelowna and Kamloops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're right. I mean, again, Canadian standards, they must be 150 something thousand people, which is a fairly big city for Canada. A big mm. city in Canada, like some of the provincial capitals, you know, um, Winnipeg or Regina and so on, there'd be half a million people. And the biggest cities in Canada have around a million people. Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto are the exception. They're all around four or five million people. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. have you been to Vancouver? You must have been to Vancouver before. I lived in Vancouver. So I made it a point to uh, be in Vancouver for the Olympics. And this is oh, my okay. yeah. Vancouver Olympics. 2010. Took one of my souvenirs because I was in England I, I, this whole other story, I took a year off of university and got a UK work permit and lived yeah. in England in 2003. I was, uh, I ended up in Bournemouth in the South coast. Nice. And yeah. I remember because I was there the day when they announced Vancouver had won the 2010 winter Olympics, like, which would be seven years later. Yeah. And in that moment I was like, I'm going to be there. I want to be there for the next Olympics in Canada. So fast forward, like six, seven years later. And I did, it was a really neat experience. And I got and- to work there too. Where did you live in Vancouver? Out of interest? Yeah, I lived in uh, North Burnaby. Oh, okay. Uh, that's pretty close to where we are now. We're North Van, yeah. just over, yeah, okay. the, over the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a pretty close commute. It's about 10, 15 minutes by car if there's no traffic. Yeah, yeah. I would be close. I was close to SkyTrain, so uh, oh, yeah. I could hop in and get downtown. I, I got a job at a really the best tour company in town. It's called Lancy Tours. And um, even though I was new to the city, I mean, I'd visited a few times, but I'd never lived there, but I had experience as a tour guide and I just really wanted the job. So <laughs> I kind of insisted that they give it to me. It took a little <laughs> while, but, uh, <laughs> but they did. And uh, it was great. I mean, I'd spend my days, you know, driving people around the city, going yeah. up to Whistler, going over to Victoria on the ferry and just mm. really got to see and learn the whole city. That was back in 2009. And then as we get into the winter and then the Olympics started to, to pick up and we did some work there okay and as we're in vancouver because we're going to go into canada now because yeah. uh, the main part what do you make of it like what was your first impressions of vancouver what do you think of the city when you first arrived and maybe start to live in it i thought this is the most beautiful city in the world okay which it might be i mean really could be yeah um within uh, well probably not i knew how expensive it was but once i found we started i was with a friend of mine once we started looking for apartments <laughs> yes and uh realized how expensive it was that was basically yeah. my second big impression <laughs> and that's real as much as anything why i left i stayed there it was about a year and a half and we both decided that you know we just don't want to keep paying whatever 
thousands of dollars a month for these mm. little apartments and you can never really get ahead or anything no it just it sucks a soul out of you when you're just spending so much money on your rents and you know getting around and everything so i did think for a while though until i got to that point yeah i might stay here you know this could be home for the rest of my life for a long time so but i do like it i miss it and it's a beautiful beautiful city it's tough the, the housing thing because we got people uh, yeah. to give people an example here we've got people in our building here north van next mm. door i think they're in their 70s and they're still renting that gives yeah. you an idea and we've got i've got people at work here uh there's some, this guy i work with i won't name him he said that he's still renting in burnaby actually he lives in burnaby and i said to him you know ever, ever thought about investing in the flat he goes can't afford it because i'm i'm literally waiting for my parents to pass away and, and then yep. pass down their property because i just cannot or yep. we as in him and his partner just cannot afford to buy anywhere in vancouver and if you want to have an idea uh in vancouver you cannot buy a house in metro vancouver it's just like the the central part if you like which doesn't include north van but it will include it in terms of price you can't buy a house until you get to probably like Chilliwack, and then which is like a, yeah. an hour drive right east and even then yeah. it's a million and a half dollars um townhouse which is even terrorist. in Chilliwack. Yeah, yeah, it's starting to, <laughs> it's crazy. Like my friend bought a house in Abbotsford, if you know Abbotsford, yeah. where the airport is. She yeah. said, I can't, she said, I can't buy a house anywhere in Vancouver. That's the, that's the closest place that she can buy a house mm. and not an apartment. Apartment's different. You will buy um, mm. some apartments here in downtown or wherever, but they're not particularly cheap, but yeah. cheaper than a house. But again, do you want to live in an apartment? I mean, there's a risk with that with neighbors and stuff. So yeah, it's just it's a bit of an issue really. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it was quite a big turnoff at the end of the day. But I, I, you know, I really made the most of it while I was there, for sure. Just really, really explored the city. I would rent cars every once in a while, and I didn't have a car, but I just rent one and just explore. Have you ever been out to the airport, the, the international airport? Mm -hmm. There's one place when you drive in, and you kind of go off on the side road, and you can be right underneath the planes as they come in. It's a great plane spotting uh, oh, okay. spot. Yeah. And if you keep going along that road, I've got the map in front of me. There's like this um, a jetty, yeah, the Iona jetty, which yep. sticks out out towards UBC and all that. And you can walk right up to the end. It's got to be like, according to the map here, it's like three kilometers long. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm I love exploring little corners like that. Yeah, and if you and it's got this weird part, um, which I'm sure you're aware of. If you keep going south past Richmond and stuff, but if you go towards Twosson, where the ferries go out, yeah. this, is, this is way past the airport. Um, if people don't know what I'm talking about, there's mm. a point where you get to the border of US and it's a place called Point Roberts. So people look at their maps now and it's the strangest place that is USA yeah. over the border, but there's no school in Point Roberts. So all the people who live in US and Point Roberts go to school in Canada because there's no other school around, but it's got water all around it because there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, it's crazy, eh? Strange it's such place. a quirk, yeah. Yeah, quirk. <laughs> but I've never been to that place you said though, the, um, the little jetty, jetty out. Yeah, yeah, I can see yeah. it on the map now. Yeah, I've not done yeah. that, no. Have you been to Steveston? Yes. Get fish and chips there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's a nice mm. little place, Steveston. I think it's like that almost, I wouldn't say too much, it's a classic British seaside town feel a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's got that sort of feel. <laughs> um, well, yeah, where else did you enjoy around the Vancouver area? Did you go to up north towards maybe Sunshine yeah. Coast, a bit to the west, or did you go up to I love Sunshine Coast. Yeah, it's, um, I went out there a couple of times. And, you know, it's funny because it's like, I mean, it's fairly close to the city. You do have to take a ferry or even two if you go to Powell River, but yes. it's not really that far. It's like a couple hours trip and you're in like mm -hmm. a whole different world. 
it's just such a different vibe. It's quiet. It's like laid back, of course, and chill. And, you know, but there's reasonable communities there. There's lots of artistic stuff happening and little cafes. It's a really nice spot. And it's a weird spot, isn't it? Because it's actually part of the mainland. Yeah. Yeah. But, it feels like you're on an island. There's no road there. So you have to go mm-hmm. and get the ferry across. Yeah. And this just proves how big Canada is that, that they've not even built a road <laughs> to go all the way around because it's just too far. And there's not the demand, right? In yeah, Europe yeah, and Switzerland so. or something, they would build tunnels and all the rest, but we don't have the population to support it. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. And uh, did you go to any of the islands? Um, like oh, yeah. the Gulf Islands, we're going to Main Island this weekend. I don't know if you've been there, but... No, um, I haven't been there, but I've been... Um, well, Salt Spring, of course, is the big yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I never did explore too much of the Southern Gulf Islands, but I told, I think I told you when you were on my show that my sister lived on Cortez Island, which yes. is part of the northern Gulf Islands. So that's farther up um, the coast. And it's the kind of most remote island that has regular ferry service. So there are lots of other islands, but you have to have your own boat to get there. But Cortez, and even though if you see it on the map, it's much, much closer. It's just offshore of the mainland. There's no ferry from the mainland because there's no road to that end of the <laughs> mainland. You have to drive to Powell River, take a BC ferry across oh, to wow. okay. Comox, drive right. up to Campbell River, little ferry over to Quadra, get yes. across Quadra right. Island, take another ferry to Cortez, and now you've arrived. <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? I, I, yeah. I still, it still amazes me how big it is and how much of it we don't really live in yeah 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 the options are endless right in terms of population growth mm-hmm. yeah it's true and do you find that even where you live now eastwise i mean yep it takes days to get to where you are if i drove from here but endless well that's canada of... the whole there's yeah. this that i don't know the number offhand but it's something like 80 percent, at least 85 percent of canadians live within like a two-hour drive, let's say, of the American border, like even though oh, okay. it's a massive country, right? And we yeah. all live in this little strip, basically along the border within mm. a reasonable drive. So, you know, you see a province like Quebec, which is the biggest one, is huge, but like everybody lives basically in the southern part. And what they call the center of Quebec, Centre du Québec, you would think uh, geographically when you see it on the map, it, you would think that's like way up in the middle. But of course, really, when they mean centered, <laughs> the center of Quebec, that's actually where we're basically where we're moving to between <laughs> Montreal and Quebec City, because that's where the population is, right? Got it. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I didn't realize that Quebec was the biggest as well. Yeah. Yeah. Ge- uh, geographically, it is. Yeah. 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 And it goes like basically up to the Arctic Circle, right? I mean, yeah, the basically. northern parts of Quebec are in line with Green- Greenland. If you were to mm-hmm. just go east, I mean, that's crazy high up. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to go up there. I've never been that far north, but that'd be cool. Can you drive up there? You know, they, you can. Uh, there's these dirt roads, that, and there are communities, you know, First Nations communities um, mm. scattered around, and some of them have road access. Uh, and I've heard of people, like, you need a good... Um, four-wheel drive vehicle and all the yeah. rest and of course it's like a 18-hour drive or something but you can do it you can drive no i don't know if we go right to the tip but some parts because you in quebec is famous for it's a hydroelectric power and there's dams all over the place in like the northern part of the province so mm-hmm. they had these service roads to get in there and that's why the roads exist but you know they're public roads you can drive in go from here up to took yeah yeah you can do that in the summer i think it's possible And there's, you know, people with these big cars, like, yeah, I'm going to drive there this summer. And (laughs) it's a big aim. And it's just immensely high up north. Like, 
it's crazy because we went to yeah, Whitehorse right. at Christmas and that's high enough, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm Alaska and that was like minus 30 and stuff, but hmm. that's even a different level. <laughs> so for Quebec, obviously people know it's French speaking. I think even people around the world know that. I hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah. So people obviously would only visit probably Montreal or Quebec, right? Must be some hidden gems in yeah. between or either side that you maybe have traveled to. Have you got any like hot tips maybe? Um, I guess you, you'd really need a, a car, your own car, yeah. unless you're an organized tour or something. But yeah, if you have your own car, um, I, if you're in Quebec City, the nice drive is stay on the North Shore and you head a bit to not that far, maybe 45 minutes, you start to get into Charlevoix, which is this beautiful area and there's fairly big mountains and not Rockies level, but pretty big mountains and they're old mm -hmm. mountains. So they're all kind of worn down over time, but they're pretty substantial. And they go right into the, the St. Lawrence river, these mountains that rise right up of it. And there's kind of old fjords, which again have been ground down, but you can kind of see how, like how majestic it is. So you drive out to Charlevoix and you're going right along the, the, the edge of the St. Lawrence river and you get to the mouth of the Saguenay river, which is another fjord actually. And that goes farther inland. But the scenery is incredible. There's some neat little towns on the way and little cafes and little artist um, galleries and things like that. Oh, nice. And when you get kind of to the end of the road, you have to take a ferry across the Saguenay uh, River where it joins the St. Lawrence. Uh, it's famous for the whale watching. So I, I think it's beluga whales, maybe others. They come into the St. Lawrence estuary uh, about as far as Saguenay there. And a little town called Tadoussac is mm. famous for the uh, whale tours. And there's okay. a pretty good chance of seeing them. So between that and the drive to get there, it's very accessible. You can you can do like kind of half of it in a day trip from Quebec City. Most people do it in a couple of days, go one way and come back the next day or something. But yeah, it's a stunning drive, really, on both sides of the river. Once you get farther out, if you're on the south side now and you're heading east towards like the maritime provinces and so on, yeah. then you're on the south shore of the St. Lawrence. You can cut across down to New Brunswick. Or you can go out around the Gaspé Peninsula. And if you picture the map of Quebec, it's kind of like the thumb that sticks out into the St. Lawrence, um, the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Yeah. Um, and you drive right around it. And it's a similar thing. There's pretty big mountains in the middle and you, you know, they get right up close to the edge of the water. So beautiful scenery. And yeah, it's a, it's a province. It's an area that's made for road trips for sure. It's actually underrated in terms of how close that is to the mm -hmm. Eastern side of Canada, right? When you get out to the islands. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Is it about the vibe of like maybe when you drive from, let's say, here to Banff and you get that like driving through the mountains vibe through the Rockies? Is it a bit like that? Well, if uh, I'm guessing maybe five million years from now or something like that, when they get really worn down, because they I mean, they are they're the bigger, biggest mountains in eastern North America. And right. there are some ski hills, not just Mont Tremblant, but there's some other ones around Quebec mm -hmm. City, which are impressive hills. But it's nothing quite like Rockies. Like you can imagine where glaciers used to be, but they're not there yeah. anymore, right? Okay. Um, so they're forested and like, you know, they, they're not quite, they're dramatic in a different way. They're more, they're just old. It feels old. It's an older geology and all that. Okay. It's very dramatic. And do you do tour guides around um, this sort of area? Because I know that's on your website about being a tour guide. Is that where you I haven't been tours out there, no. And this is no. the thing. So for me, like I haven't really done much guiding at least on the road for the last few years, largely because as we settled down here, we bought a house, we had kids and I didn't want to be away all the time. When you're a tour mm -hmm. director, you're constantly on the road. You know, you can be off with a group for seven days or more. You come home, you got 24 hours to do laundry and like see your family and then you're off again. And because in Canada, especially 
the tourism industry is very, very seasonal. So it's maybe April at the earliest till kind of mid October. And then it just dies right off aside from like ski tourism. But you know, the hot summer months is when people come to Canada. So yeah. that's when all of us who work in tourism, we basically have our employment. Uh, so that means if you're, if you're doing something like tours, you're just on the go for like five or six months constantly. And, mm-hmm. you know, you probably make a decent amount of money in that amount of time, but like all you do is work. I didn't really want to do that all the time. You know, I, I was lucky I found the job, which I did. I'll tell you about that, but where at least I can come home every night is in town here in Ottawa. Yeah, please tell us about that. What is that job? Yeah. So once we moved here, then I was looking around to see what I could do. And uh, I found a job with Parks Canada, which is the Park Service of Canada. Uh, in Ottawa, across the river from here, there's a historic site. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's called the Rideau Canal. <laughs> it's the oldest canal of its type in North America. Oh, wow. And, okay. um, it was built by the British military in the 1820s and 30s as before trains really existed as an escape route for the British army and military protecting, which was then British North America's before Canada technically existed. Right. Yeah. Um, but the United States did and the yeah. Americans had already invaded Canada once in the war of 1812. Yeah. So the British thought we need to be more prepared in case that happens again, we need to evacuate our troops. Now it took 20 years for them to actually build a canal to facilitate that at which point there wasn't as much of a threat, but regardless, they built the canal and it's between Kingston, which is on Lake Ontario and, uh, and Ottawa. So that's about 200 kilometers, around 126 miles long. Mm-hmm. And the whole, th- basically there's a, there's what, 24 lock stations. There's oh, a bunch wow. of lakes, but you know, there's parts where they had to dig canals and like actual trenches and everything and build locks. And uh, all but two of those lock stations are hand operated. So it's manual locks and you're turning these cranks and you're yeah. opening the gate and the sluice valves to let the water through. Now, of course, nowadays it's all pleasure boats that come through mm-hmm. and it's all part of this big interconnected waterway that goes towards like Montreal and out to St. Lawrence or into the Great Lakes or even down into New York State and New York City and on from there. So in normal years, there would be a lot of American boats that would come through, mostly from Quebec and Ontario. So it's been all preserved. And the reason why it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site is because they really made a point, especially in like the 60s and 70s, of keeping it open in the first place and preserving it in its original form. Mm-hmm. So you really do see like the way this thing was 180 years ago when you when they built it. It was pretty neat for me doing this job because I'm there like, you know, turning these cranks and opening the gates and everything. I'm literally doing the exact same job as some guy back in the 1830s. Yeah. And that's pretty rare. <laughs> that's crazy. You think about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's not many so, people can say that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So. Yeah, so that's the kind of the job I stumbled on. But I mean, you know, it's, it's a decent job and the parks. Um, uh, well, it's park service and, you know, benefits and decent pay and all. It's a livable job. It wasn't just mm. kind of a, a se- I mean, seasonal, but it, was, it wasn't just like a part-time job. The reason be- being that, again, because it's only open from May until the middle of October, we just like cram in as many hours as we can during that time. So I'd Got be it. working six days a week, 10 hours yeah. a day, sometimes seven days a week. Um, and then it, you'd bank all the extra hours. I'd get paid. 80 hours every two weeks, but I would have worked like, I don't know, hundred or something. And I, right. so the winters are great because I'd finished work in the middle of October and I'm yeah. still paid until like late January, early February. Yeah. The work I did the previous uh, summer. Nice. So that was nice, but it's kind of the same thing. I mean, at least I could come home at night, but you know, my wife's a teacher, so she'd be off all summer. I'd be working flat out and then be the opposite schedules in the winter. Yeah. And we didn't, 
I mean, we didn't really have much time together as a family to do anything substantial, especially traveling. Mm. So, you know, we knew we weren't going to, I wasn't going to do this job forever. It was kind of a, you know, a thing just for a little while. I did it for seven summers, which is enough. It's yeah. very physical work. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and where I work, I should point out too, is that, I mean, the canal is 200 kilometers long, but I work right downtown Ottawa. And when you, you know, if anyone watching and so on, if you look, if you search for a Rideau Canal, just put it in Google, the first image that'll come up are the Ottawa locks. It's this flight of eight locks right underneath the parliament buildings, right in the center of the city is the first thing that was built by Europeans, at least in what's now Ottawa. Mm. And that's like the postcard picture view. And that's where I worked. I was one of the lock masters there. So it was, uh, it's where everything was happening. <laughs> oh, wow. And now I, what's your, is that still yeah. the same job now or what? No, what are you doing I, now? Uh, well, I, I couldn't do it anyway now that we're yeah. moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. But, uh, I've, you know, I've been planning for this move and everything for a couple of years. And, yeah. um, so it's a full 180. I've, I've been getting into podcast management and, uh, yeah. <laughs> which will come to in a bit <laughs> yeah yeah so and but i should say though really my goal was always to be self-employed to work from home to work yeah from that's anywhere. a dream right yeah and this is a good way to do it you know for other parts of canada do you have any other favorite parts that you travel to maybe the maritimes or is there any parts of canada that you would love to tell people about as well well my heart is certainly in the rocky mountains because okay. i spent um four no five summers there uh, which was a while ago now, as to the between 2006 and 2012, aside from the summer I was in Vancouver, and then another year where I was traveling around the world. But otherwise, I was basically based in, in Banff and Jasper. Mm-hmm. So, generally, I mean, I know the area like the back of my hand, and it felt like home. It was such a wonderful feeling because you know, it's one of these dream places for people's bucket lists and stuff. and and that was home. I was just, you know, where I lived wow. and got my groceries and just had friends and the all views. the rest. Yeah. Cool. In general, there's lots to see, of course. But now yeah. I worked, uh, I, I spent a summer in Lake Louise, uh, just working at the youth hostel there, yeah. uh, which is beautiful. And I really like Lake Louise area because the hiking is so accessible. You mm. can really get to lots of amazing trails. You can hike, climb mountains and you don't need gear. You can like, I mean, it's a good walk and hike, but you can hike up a mountain to mm. the summit from the village and you know within a few hours be back down so it's really things are close by as far as like especially mountains and mountain trails go it's like you're quite accessible the farther north you go then from lake louise up towards jasper things get a lot even bigger more spread out and more remote so it's a different and people say that it's a different kind of feel the famous drive is the ice fields parkway yeah which is between Lake Louise and Jasper. Mm. And that's, I live, so I worked at the Columbia Ice Field. I don't know if I told you this. I worked at the Columbia Ice Field for uh, uh, four summers. That's where I met my wife. And now that's where they drive this big bus with the big tires on the glacier. Again, if you look for Columbia Ice Field, like it's the yeah. first image, it'll pop up these red and white buses, monster trucks, really, yeah. uh, that, that drive directly onto this glacier. So people can actually get out there and then they get off and walk around and they can like drink the water and all the rest. So it's this famous tour and this, and uh, people come from all around to, to do it. Uh, and I managed to get a job there driving one of these buses. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I like doing the, the unique jobs that don't exist anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. You've done some interesting jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And it was amazing because there was staff accommodation for one thing. Jasper is the closest town, is a good hour drive away to the north. So you don't just kind of pop in to pick something up at the store. You really had mm. to plan ahead. Now, all that being said, they would provide staff accommodation for us there on site. That's the only way they can get people to come and work there. Yeah. So we get our own room and they do all their meals and everything else. So you go out and work like a seven, eight hour day or shift come home it would be light out it's fairly far north it's almost edmonton uh, latitude it's uh, so it'd be light out till like 11 o'clock at night in the summer so you can do work like a seven eight hour shift come home dinner's waiting for you you can then go off and do like a three-hour hike in daylight <laughs> after wow. dinner with wow. all of your friends i mean you have a hundred yeah. of your best friends who've come from all around canada and australia and uk and stuff too yeah and we're all living together and hanging out and you can imagine the parties and just good times and stuff. <laughs> There's something special about that sort of, yeah. I've done it for in Australia, probably more so with the, I call them like working hostels where mm-hmm. you're all pretty much doing the same job or similar jobs and you're living together, yeah. obviously full time. Yeah, you mm-hmm. get to know people pretty well, different countries, different nationalities. It's pretty special times, aren't they? Yeah, it was a real melting pot. It's a funny, it was, a, it was like a little melting pot of Canada, really, because people come from all across the, the country to work there. Mm-hmm. A lot of francophones from Quebec to come and practice their English. Yeah. Summer jobs for most of them. I would be there. I was finished university at that point. So I'd be there the full season, like a good six months. Mm-hmm. And there are others who are students. They're there for like two or three months or so. Um, but then it was so amazing. It's like every day there'd be thousands of people who come through on their big highway coach buses to take the tour. They get on our bus and we yeah. on the tour and then they'd all go home or go back to their hotels in Banff and Jasper. So you go from thousands of people on site during the day to a hundred of us having the whole place to ourselves the rest wow. of the night. It yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And that was our backyard. It's yeah. <laughs> dreamy. <laughs> there is a, it is an amazing area. I've been there uh, once. Yeah. I'm actually going back in May actually to, Nice. We're staying in Canmore. I don't know if you've. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I don't know. I still have friends in Canmore. So, uh-huh. you know, and that's good. I mean, nobody really stays there for too long. I mean, you know, maybe four or five seasons at the most. It's kind yeah. of a job if you're in your like your 20s. And, yes. Yeah. You know, you're never going to like buy a house or settle down or have a family when you're working at a place like that. Mm. So people move on. But, you know, a fair number of, of my friends are still out there. They still live in Banff and Jasper and Canmore. So. Mm. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to going back because we did do before COVID, this was. Um, we did do the whole uh, Lake Louise and Lake Moraine, yeah, which is well worth the uh, mm-hmm. journey too. Um, before COVID, it was really busy, so we had to get there really early. So yeah. Lake Louise sunrise is a classic one. You get there really early yeah. and then get a shuttle bus to Moraine. Brilliant, brilliant uh, driving around the area, brilliant views, like amazing days, like no rain, just clear blue yeah. sky. Get, get the turquoise lakes and you go up to the, the viewpoints, the tea house. Is that Lake yeah. Louise tea house? Um, yeah, nice amazing views and i can't wait to go back to shem's sister who's coming over cool. uh, in may so that'd be a uh, pretty special again did you ever make it to waterton lake no ah so usually when people ask me what are your favorite places top three at least maybe number one is waterton lake wow i've never even heard of it uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's part of the rockies but it's the southern part in canadian terms it's right on the border with uh, alberta and montana it's a probably i don't know maybe two two, three hours from Calgary. Yeah. But what's amazing with Waterton in, you kind of get this throughout the Rockies when you get there, but Waterton is very accessible. You're driving across the prairies and it's yeah. flat. I mean, flat. it's very yeah. slightly rolling, but it's basically flat. You can see the mountains in the distance and you're getting closer and closer. 
And it's just this wall of mountain right in front of you. And that's Waterton Lake. And it's like surrounded by these cathedral like mountains with this lake right in the middle, which stretches mm. across the border. There's this iconic hotel that looks over it. And you can stand on the top of this little hill where the hotel is and you look in front of you and these big mountains in the, in the lake. And then you turn around the other way and it's just nothing but flat prairie <laughs> wow. and big sky. Yeah. yeah, the contrast is just incredible. And it's just this tucked away little corner. I, I only spent, we spent one night there. We were just on a little road trip. And you could spend some time and explore and do hiking. And there's a little boat tour. I'm, I would think they still do it. That does go across the border. You can technically go and wander around in Montana for a few feet and then come back. <laughs> but wow. um, it's they actually, that's true. It's part of this uh, international peace park. So it's kind of a nice international flavor. But yeah, Waterton Lakes, it's, it's incredible. I've now added that to my list. Um, mm. because we are doing a road trip across Canada so that will be yeah. that'll be added in for sure because it's kind of this side right it's like I, I can sit at the arse pretty close it's this side <laughs> so yeah we'll make an effort to go there and yeah. what else we've got on the list here we've got um, yeah Newfoundland that's a great right great question interesting accent they do have a very special accent they do yeah uh. very different we didn't <laughs> actually find it that strange but the um the girls from Ontario would be like, whoa, that's, that's like speaking a different language. Uh, it's, not that, it's not that extreme. <laughs> no, no, but it's distinct. It's, it kind of sounds a little Irish, I suppose. Yes. But it's, uh, yeah. it's definitely from Newfoundland, it is. It looks uh, a great area, though. It looks amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, so I went there again a while ago. It was the end of 2008. They call it the rock for good reason. So you think of the island itself of Newfoundland, it's this big plateau of rock. And basically the whole island is surrounded by cliffs. It's a massive, it's one of the biggest islands in the world. And the whole, there's no beaches or I, I have very few beaches. Like it's just these cliffs that just drop into the ocean around the whole thing. So when you arrive on the ferry, well, it depends. You can, in the summer, they have a ferry that goes a bit closer to St. John's. And from mm -hmm. there, it's like, it's only, I don't know, a six hour drive maybe to St. John's because everybody's basically heading for St. John's. It's the one big city in the, with a big capital of culture and stuff. Yeah, uh, you can also get the ferry to the very southwest corner of the island, which means you have to go across the whole thing to get to yeah. St. John's, which is what I did. So I didn't have a car. I was just taking the bus. But I went to Cornerbrook for a night and then took like a 16 hour bus ride across Newfoundland to get all the way to St. John's. And then I just kind of hung out there for a couple a couple weeks. But yeah, it's like this outpost. You feel like you're in the middle of the ocean. I mean, it's 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 so far east in canada you know has its own time zone it's half an hour ahead of oh. the next closest time so when you watch canadian tv you listen to the radio they'll say such and such program is at 7 p.m 7 30 yeah. newfoundland <laughs> yeah so yeah it's and that's been nightmare. well yeah. that's true i mean they get used to it, but you, it really does feel like it distinct now part of the thing with newfoundland is that it only joined canada in 1949 before oh. that it was a separate colony it was a british dominion just like new zealand australia oh, wow. canada okay. itself it had its own self-governing and its own flag of course and all that stuff but they never newfoundland has a long history of basically mismanaging and exploiting their resources so right they got to the point after the war where they faced a choice. Well, are we going to be able to go at ourselves or, you know, is it time to join Canada? And they had a referendum, which is fairly close, but they voted to join Canada and become the 10th province. So because of that, it's still relatively recent history. There's a very strong independent streak, not like politically, but just culturally an independent type feel in, in Newfoundland for sure. And it carries on a bit further North, right? To the, yeah. Well then there's the mainland. mainland. So. Yeah. They actually changed the name of the province uh, not like 10 or 15 years ago officially to Newfoundland and Labrador. 
Right. It used to be the whole thing was just called Newfoundland and yeah. Labrador was kind of ignored. But Labrador is the mainland part of the province, which is this big triangle. Oh, right. carved out of Quebec. Yeah. And that actually is on the uh, the coastline. Again, like there's a couple little towns there. Uh, Goose Bay is the, Goose Bay? the yeah. biggest place, but I don't even know if there's maybe 15,000 people there. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very remote. There is a ferry. You can get there in a small road. You can kind of go across the, the southern part. But most of the province and the, like Labrador itself is very inaccessible. Like you'd have to fly in with a float plane kind of thing to, mm. to see it. I've seen pictures. There's a park. Yeah, that's it. Torngat Mountains. Torngat Mountains National Park. And I've seen pictures of this place and it's like something straight out of Norway or even more extreme. It's like towering mountains and fjords and cliffs and glaciers. Uh, up north. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. do they even get 100 people visiting a year? You know, wow, yeah. it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that's pretty untouched in terms of a, yeah. a tourism trail. My, my, my question is, why wouldn't it have two different provinces, Labrador and Newfoundland? Yeah, <laughs> my guess <laughs> is partly population, although yeah. it would be similar maybe to Yukon, Northwest Territories. But I don't know. I, I don't think Labrador is kind of, they might object to this, of course, but it's kind of the forgotten, ignored corner of Canada, you know, and that... Okay people think of newfoundland of course they think of the island they think of st john's yep. and they think of newfoundland they don't we don't really think of labrador nobody really knows that much about it yeah. anybody goes there it's really really hard to get there you can barely mm. drive there um i mean I, there's obviously beautiful scenery and things to see but it's not really like a very well structured organized tourism kind of industry you probably have to either have the car to do it or be on some kind of group tour to really like to see it so it's just so off the beaten path it's kind of forgotten so i would imagine there's just not really the momentum or the desire for some kind of more autonomy to become an actual province mm. and they would be funded largely from like the newfoundland government and you know provide services so yeah it's just uh you could kind of say the same thing about the territories because the northern territories of canada also very very sparsely populated oh, massively huge so. yeah, yeah. And they only really have like a couple small towns and even smaller little communities that are hundreds of kilometers apart from the nearest one. Well, the territories had a little bit more, I think, organization, just administrative background, I guess. Labrador is kind of a gray zone. If you ask the Quebec government uh, who Labrador belongs to and where the border should be, they would say <laughs> either it all belongs to Quebec or that the border is kind of, you see it sometimes on maps that Quebec considers the border should be much closer to the coastline, giving Quebec, therefore, the interior of Labrador oh, wow. for access to all of its hydroelectricity. Controversial. Right? <laughs> yeah, there's always something going on, isn't there? <laughs> it's an amazing part of the country and world, actually. I think it, I wouldn't say obsessed, but I cannot wait to see uh, Newfoundland and also like Nova Scotia as well and Prince Edward yeah. Island like down there as well and New Brunswick. The like, fun part is getting there because to get, to, unless yeah. you fly, but you guys will be driving. Yeah, what is the... So there. you get uh, you, to get to Newfoundland, you go through Nova Scotia, which also means you go through Cape Breton Island, yes, which is the island kind of, well, I guess, northeast of the mainland of Nova Scotia, but it's all part of Nova Scotia province. Yep. When you go to Cape Breton Island, there's the Cabot Trail, which is one of the stunning drives in Canada, if not the world. It's, uh, again, yep. winding along the, the cliffs. Coast, and yeah, yeah, it looks amazing. Incredible views and some little neat villages and stuff along the way. You can do it in a day. It's not super long. Mm. Um, but that's just literally around the corner from Sydney and where the, the ferry terminal is to then take this 12 hour ferry ride to, to Newfoundland and you're off on a whole other adventure. 12 hours. Oh yeah. Easily. What? It's just over the water. Can't you just get to like, uh, Port of Basque. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I get that. Uh, that's a closer ferry route, but it's it's at least eight hours. I think it's more than that. It depends on the weather. It's very choppy uh, seas oh, and all the rest. So they're big ships. I mean, they're like you know, almost ocean liner kind of sturdy ships, right? You get a cabin if you want. Uh, you need a berth at least because it's yeah, it's not like a two or three hour crossing. It's not like going to Vancouver Island. It's well, big... I just assumed it was. It just looks like yeah. No. I thought it was just hop across. Wow. <laughs> Is that and the only way one. as well? Is that the only well, way? You, you can fly, of course, but that's the only yeah. way. Well, that's just it. So if if it's summertime, there's a summer route that I was saying earlier from Sydney, the same place in Cape Breton, to Argentia, which is closer to St. John's. Like again, it's like a three or four hour drive. Uh, but the Argentia ferry, that's the one that's at least 12 hours. I think it may be more than that. Now people do it because obviously you do get closer to St. John's in the end. Mm. Um but yeah, it's even a much longer ferry ride. The only other way to get to Newfoundland by car, you'd have to drive along the North Shore of Quebec. Yeah. So way past Quebec City, past Charlevoix, keep going, keep going. Yeah. You go past Setseal, which is kind of the last bigger town. And you keep going right to the end of the road. And they might have some outport ferry services, at least in the North Shore. In Newfoundland, they do. My brother did this years ago. Between Port of Basque, uh, Hermitage, I guess, is the actual town, but you kind of have to picture Newfoundland like there's the island of Newfoundland, and then there's the corner peninsula, the Avalon Peninsula, where St. John's is. But the main part is kind of a triangle shape again. So if you're at the southern, the middle part, or like the southern coast of the, the main part of the island, there's these little outport fishing villages, and they may have like 200 people or 500 people live there. They've been around for like 400 years. Yeah. There's no road access because it's impossible to build roads to these places that's so rocky and mm. cost whatever hundreds of millions of dollars. So they have these little outport ferry services, uh, okay. and it's a fun thing if you have the time. It takes like, I don't know, four or five days because you have to time it with the schedule. Sometimes you're stuck in a little village overnight and they bring people into their home, your homes and like oh, wow. and stay with overnight, but you can hop along these little outport villages along the Southern coast of Newfoundland to get basically back to Port of Basque. If you know, if that's where you're going. Oh, that's, that's a great little tip. That's that sounds amazing. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I see it's, some icebergs too. Yeah. Yeah. There's this image of icebergs and just this grand. Yeah. The um, icebergs are mostly, um, I guess the, the middle North coast of the Island, um Twillingate is known for it and a couple other towns where it's kind of a tourist base mm. to go see the icebergs you can get a little boat and they take you on a cruise and you go right up near them i guess and yeah you know you might see them like tumble over and all that kind of stuff and in saint john's I i'm sure they still do this i remember there was a brewery that got iceberg uh ice melted into water and they made beer from it a kitty vitty brewery wow that's awesome my government would love that right. <laughs> Lo- loves a brewery so yeah yeah before we go on to places that you want to go to i've got actually a few more questions of canada because i'm yeah. interested if you've been nova scotia yeah yeah we should talk about that too because yeah. i mean it's on the road to newfoundland but often it's the end of the road for most people yes it's a whole other track to get to newfoundland which is obviously worth it but it could take another week so if you only have a week or two people would probably go to prince edward island nova scotia it's a lot more touristed as a result halifax is a wonderful city it's one of the best little cities really in canada like it's big enough it's uh, it's probably half a million people or so, mm. at least in the metro area. You get all the services and things you need, international airport, you know. But it has a small town feel. And it's very easy to walk around the town town. Again, there's like hills and there's a fort, the citadel, which is right in the center of town. And you get these amazing views of the harbor and everything's close by. There's amazing bars and pubs and like art galleries and music. It's famous for its music in Nova Scotia. 
mm-hmm. student uh, scene. There's like a whole bunch of universities there. So people usually head for Halifax, but any local will tell you, any Nova Scotian will say, you don't just go to Halifax, of course, yeah. you can see lots more. What I love in Nova Scotia is going to see the tides. You know about the tides in the Bay of Fundy? No, no, no. So they're the highest tides in the world. Here's another Google search for you. For huh. this. Just search for Bay of Fundy tides and you'll see someone will post like a before and after picture. And this is where you see a boat that when the tide is high, it's like moored to a dock and everything seems normal. 12 hours later, the boat is sitting flat on the ocean floor and the water is like way out, you know, a couple hundred meters. That happens every single day, every single day, because that's the tides, because the Bay of Fundy is like a funnel. It funnels the water and the, yeah. you know, the pull of the moon and everything. And it just pushes and pulls the water in and out of this bay, it like sucks it out. So pretty much anywhere you go along the Bay of Fundy on the Nova Scotia side, and the New Brunswick side for two, it seems a little more dramatic, maybe on the Nova Scotian side, you can see these tides. And sometimes you even get the tidal bores where like the force of the water and the tide coming in, like pushes this wave up a narrow a river or like a narrow inlet and it just channels it down. So you get this cresting wave coming in. You can tell the tides coming in. Mm. People even like surf these things, like they're big waves. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So you can do like boat cruises and jet boat tours on the tidal bore, you know. That's a great yeah. tip, but that's a, a, I love facts about like the highest tide in the world. Brilliant. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, when yeah. I went to Nova Scotia, well, I've been there a few times, but one of my most memorable times, if you're like me and you like going to the, like the end of the road, the last place you can get to kind of thing, go to Briar Island. Okay. Briar Island, it's past Digby and it sticks out into the Bay of Fundy. And again, you have to take two ferries to get there, but these are short ferries. They're so like five, 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, when you get there, I think there, there was a hostel. I think it closed. Maybe someone reopened it, but it's very remote. You could probably find a place to stay, but it's just, if you want that kind of remote feel, that's very accessible. I mean, you can get there in, in half a day from Halifax kind of thing. Mm. Um, but it feels you're absolutely in, at the end of the road and even beyond that, because you've taken two ferries to get there. And it's just, if you want to kind of like unpack your bag, feel the sea air, wander around the island, you can easily walk around the island and like a couple hours kind of thing, you know, fresh seafood. I mean, it's not a huge population. I'm sure is maybe, maybe a few hundred people at the most, probably less than that, but it's a really neat place to just feel like you're right there immersed in the ocean and that whole kind of atmosphere, you know? What is the end of the road? Do you think at that side of Canada? Like, what do you think? What do you feel is the one place where you think this is like the end? There is an official place in Newfoundland it's called Cape oh, Spear. Cape Spear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I went there. It's just outside of St. John's. Yeah. When you're in St. John's, which is another great city too, very compact and easy to walk around. St. John's, uh, I guess the focal point is called Signal Hill. Okay. And there's this tower, this kind of brick stone tower, which looks out over the harbor. And from the tower, the Cabot Tower and Signal Hill on a clear day, you can see down the coastline and see the lighthouse at Cape Spear. And that's the easternmost point in North America. In North America? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like 45 minutes by car from St. John's. So it's to pop out to see it. It's like in New Zealand. I don't know if you went to Cape Rainer at the top. Yeah, I have a picture. There's my news clipping here. Yes. This is from the Christchurch earthquakes. And the oh, picture yeah. just to the right of that, that's yeah. me looking out at Cape Rainer. Oh, okay. Two oceans, the two seas coming together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great little spot. You can't underestimate how long it takes to get there, but it's worth, yeah. worth the trip up to. I remember that, yeah. My point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's got the same. That's got the same sort of feel as Canada sometimes because there's no big towns, like small little towns. New Zealand uh, reminds me a Northland. lot of Canada. Yeah, yeah, just a smaller version, but geographically, but uh, very similar. Similar kind of culture. You know, people yeah. are friendly and welcoming and stuff. And 
like yeah, mountains and yeah, places yeah, it's and all yeah. that. Yeah, a little more tropical for sure in the north, but um, yes. Otherwise, yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's got a BC feel. I think sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've not been east, so I might change my mind about that. Canada, where do you want to go? What's on your hit list? Well, Gaspé is interesting there in Quebec. I was there like a long time ago when I was a kid. Uh, my wife Emily's never been there, even though she's from Quebec. So now that I'm not going back to my usual summer job, <laughs> yeah, this summer yeah. we're free to do these kinds of things, and it yeah. won't be far. We could do a little camping trip around Gaspé for you know three or four days type of thing. Mm-hmm. Check that out. So that's kind of the first priority, really, and with everything else we've got going on this summer, uh, moving and all the rest, we'll see how else further we get. But mm-hmm. uh, definitely like to take her and the kids to uh, see more of the East Coast and uh, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island. If you have the yes. chance to go to PEI. Again, it's uh, on the list. It, yeah, yeah, it's it's similar feel. You know, everything's really, really laid back. People are friendly. It's you're on like East Coast time, island time. Things pretty mm. chill. Fresh seafood, and um, you know, it's always great live music. It's a very strong Celtic influence in the Maritimes, so especially musically. And you'll often go to like a little pub or something, and people are playing the fiddle and the the Irish drums and stuff like that. And yeah, it's very much part of just the everyday part of the culture. So. Yeah, Prince Edward Island is great, and it's very it's small. It's by far the smallest province, right? So, oh yeah, <laughs> you can easily uh, you can easily explore around there for a day or two if you only have a bit of time. Yeah, that's just it. I mean, I really like these coasts <laughs> by Canadian terms because it's so accessible. You can yeah. really cover a lot of ground in mm. you know in a few days if you want to you want to see as much as you can. It almost feels like sometimes Vancouver is just a bit far um, <laughs> from anything else. I mean, yeah, we are the West I Coast, that. but. Yeah, it just feels a bit isolated sometimes. I mean, the closest place is Seattle, right? So yeah, um, that tells you all you need to know about how big Canada is. Uh, you've got on your list here, actually, Yukon. Yeah, I never made it that, to Yukon, not yet. We talk about population size. Whitehorse, what, maybe 25,000? Maybe something, something like, that, like yeah. that. That's the biggest town by far in mm-hmm. Yukon. And Yukon is absolutely huge. It's next to Alaska. <laughs> and my friend just moved there because Yukon, the government offer incentives to move there. It's like 20, 25% more wages. They give you yeah. I think it's five to $8,000 extra a year just for travel expenses because people have to fly in and fly out. Yeah. Uh, I think she was saying that someone that she works with is, this is obviously before COVID, but they were hmm. in Whitehorse, but they moved out five hours away because of remote working <laughs> is, is possible now. They've got nothing <laughs> around them. They have to go to Whitehorse to get their shopping. So that's five yeah. hours by car. There's another option. So you have to like make, I guess like you have to commit one day, probably either two, every two weeks or a month where it's a shopping day yeah. and you drive five hours, do your shopping, drive five hours back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of the lifestyle, I guess, but uh, I th- I'm sure the people that end up there, they're passionate about it. You know, they, yeah. if they choose to stay for sure. Like even if you, even if you only went for maybe a year, like, you'd really do it. It's a very purposeful place. You don't kind of just stumble on Yukon, really. No. You kind of make a point of going there. That's why I never made. I, I, wish, I wish I had, and I'll get there some point. But like, mm. it's it's a whole other thing. It's like another 12, 15-hour drive from you know, northern BC type of thing. And yeah. like, it takes a lot of time and effort and probably money to get there. So if you're going to go, you want to make it worthwhile. Yeah, I think my friend has given, I think a year, she said she'll give it a go. Because it's so extreme up there. I think she wants to experience the winter, which is like five, six hours daylight a day, uh, yeah. if you're lucky. And it's going to be minus 20 to 30. And then up, up in the summertime, it's going to be 15 hour, maybe in 16, 17 hour to like yeah. daylight days and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah. And the bears, of course, as well. So I think sure. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting uh, experience for her. Are you, uh, are you a history buff? Oh, yeah. I love my history. Yeah. 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 Have you heard of Pierre Burton, the author? No. 
Ah, so put him on your list. He's uh, he died about 15 years ago. He was around in like the 1940s, I suppose, till uh, he was still writing books into like the early 2000s. He's probably he really is Canada's most prolific history author. And he wrote these monumental epics that explain everything. They explain how they built the Transcontinental Railroad. They explain Mm -hmm. the Yukon Klondike Gold Rush. Uh, what the depression was like. I mean, obviously from that era from he, he talked about the war of 1812 or, or Vimy Ridge and other things yeah, like world war stuff, but yeah, great, very much popular history when he was writing kind of even popularizing that genre in the 60s, 70s, right up through 2000s. But the point is Pierre Burton was born in Dawson city. He's one okay. of the most famous people like from Yukon. There's not a lot of yeah. people come from there. So he often talks about it in his books. And he had a whole autobiography talking about growing up in Dawson mm-hmm. and how they'd go to Whitehorse every once in a while. And just like, that was his backyard, like, you know, living where the Klondike happened. So if you've been there, you'd appreciate like, you know, what it was like. Yeah. I think the only sort of maybe experience similar to that is our Airbnb host. Mm. who is from the Yukon yeah. and he lives and works there. He's got so many stories. A real interesting job. His job was seeking out areas of land in the Yukon that were used, this is pretty bad from the Canadian government, that were dumped for big gas can- canisters, like mm. real basic stuff they want to get rid of. And he said like he used to like go and find, he's basically like a geologist, go and find areas that had like Agent Orange like dumped in there. And oh, to, like, I've heard of that, that, yeah. that sort of stuff and just trying to make sure that it's kind of removed safely and identify the areas so that yeah, basically yeah. fly in, fly out work. He would fly in a helicopter so the middle of nowhere. And yeah. yeah, he's just got so many stories and he's got all this land, just about 30 wow. minutes from white horse. And <laughs> yeah, he's got a lake that's part of his land. And yeah, he's just an interesting guy. He's got so many stories. It is hardcore living there. That, that, that was my impression. Like, it's great to visit a week, hmm. even a week in minus 30, hardly any daylight. It's Christmas time. It's like Christmas. That was that was tough, you know. Like you can't yeah. sit at the shop, you can't you can't wing it. You, as as per the podcast, you had to really plan. <laughs> you had to plan your days, right? You had to yeah. get the car like kind of charged up because it's electric and all this sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's different uh, different way of life for sure. I'm going to ask some dipping international travel questions because we ain't got time to go to everything here. So international travel, yeah, you travelled quite a lot of places. Yeah, it's probably another podcast in itself uh, episode, <laughs> but just very quickly, you lived in New Zealand, so. Mm-hmm. That's just a classic work visa, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Where, where did you live and work in New Zealand? So we ended up getting uh, jobs in Teano in the South Island. Ah, Fjordland. Yeah, uh, yeah. At a backpacker's. Did you go there? Yeah, you went to Milford Sound and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we worked, lived and worked at the Barnyard Backpackers, which is oh, just outside okay. of town. Yeah. And I was looking around for that kind of a job. I wanted like a live-in job where, you know, we'd have accommodation probably at a hostel. So I remember I was in Queenstown. And I saw the ad on the on the website. Um, so I called the woman up, like, you know, well, my girlfriend at the time, we, uh, we'd love to come up and check it out. And she's like, yeah, sure, come on by tomorrow. So we drove over to Tayano and like and meet her and her husband. And they basically it was a working farm. It was a deer farm. And the hostel was just kind of part of their property, which mm-hmm. was a busy enough place. But they had a whole bunch of other things. And she was even a nurse. She'd drive down to Invercargo like a few oh, days wow. a week. So okay. they had all this stuff going on and they really needed someone else to like help manage the hostel. This would have been in November of 2011. Yeah. So yeah, October, November. So just getting into the summer, summer. and the yeah. you know, busier season. So we showed up, obviously a beautiful place. She showed us around. She took us to like the front desk, back to the safe where she stored the money. 
And then she's like, so John and I are heading off tomorrow to, uh, to Brisbane to Surface Paradise for a week's vacation. So here are the keys and uh, have fun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that doesn't okay. surprise me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. I mean, we weren't sure if we'd only stay for a week, but when she came back, Again, she was really super busy. So she's like, do you want to stay? And we said, okay. I mean, yeah. she didn't really pay us too much, but we got free room and board and kind of a token amount and we weren't spending any money. So mm. it was just a beautiful place to kind of set up shop for a few weeks. We were there for, I think, about six weeks. You nice. know, met some people coming through. And, and yeah. of course, we got to Milford Sound and Doubtful Sound and uh, yeah. a few other places around there. So, yeah, that was home for a few weeks. We ended up spending four months in New Zealand. We bought a little car. We did yeah, buy tents and mostly were camping. We saw after that, we we just had time and money, so we drove and saw the whole country from right down to Bluff in the south. It was Bluff, to, nice, yeah, up to Cape Ranga, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We kind of done the same thing, but we done it before we settled down because I went to New Zealand before in 2013 for a month on the Kiwi experience, which is uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, an interesting experience. When me and Emma went, my girlfriend, we decided to do the North and South Island in six weeks and see yeah. basically. The country but also where do we want to stay we thought you know what let's just go all the way around so we got yeah we rented the camper van out and camper van everywhere but we were one of the lucky people with milford sound that we went there when it didn't rain so yeah, it was a clear too. day for us yeah that's why six rare, days it? all year yeah <laughs> it's perfectly clear blue sky but it's funny you know i mean i'm glad we saw it when it was nice and clear but they say it's far more dramatic when it's raining and you've got waterfalls tumbling everywhere yeah maybe that justifies when it rains but <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> And very quickly, New Zealand, two or three places that you loved. What were some of your yeah. favorite spots? Let me jog my memory. We had some friends who lived on the West Coast, a bit further up, um, near Punakaiki, near Greymouth. And, oh, yeah. Um, we spent New Year's we, there. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, we, st- we spent Christmas with them back in that year, 2011. I remember surfing on Christmas Day. That was fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. But, yeah, it was just a really neat area. And, like, it's amazing. I mean, it's even smaller scale than the in Canada, you know, here a small city is like 80,000, 100,000 people. And a place like Greymouth, I don't know, it's maybe 20,000 people, yeah. but it's like the major hub. It's like where yeah. you get all your supplies and stuff, you know? Yeah. So that was really nice. Of course, we went to um, Tongariro, so an hour in the North Island. Oh, we've not like done Taupo. that. Yeah, same thing we've not really done. Yeah. And we really wanted to see like the mountains. Um, there's Tongariro is the mountain. Uh, Ruapeu is the biggest one. is a big ski hill. It's an active mm. volcano. In between is Mount Ngaruhoi, which was a, kind of a stand-in for Mount Doom in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And so there's a little campground, like literally across the road from these three big mountains. And uh, we like, well, we're going to, you know, trying to see them. So it was raining the first day and it was raining the second day. <laughs> Cloudy. We could hardly see a thing. We said, okay, we'll give another day. And I remember getting out the tent in, uh, like seven in the morning on the third day. It's like, if we don't see it today, if it doesn't clear up, then we got to go. Yeah. And I get out and like it's beautiful sunny day and all these three big mountains are like right in front of us. And wow. it's like, it was worth the wait. It was really neat. And of course we went up and hiked around a bit. So yeah, dream, dream area. Yeah. Did you go to yeah. Wellington? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember in Wellington, we put our tent at a hostel in their backyard and they were fine with that. But oh, wow. it is windy welly. Yeah, it was so windy. It was insane. We weren't sure if the tent would would like <laughs> blow away. I mean, yeah. even with us sleeping in it. I mean, <laughs> it is that bad. Like we, we did live there for ten months, and it is it is that bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like like I wish I'd spend a bit more time there. It was a neat city. Great little city. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think deep down it's our favorite from anywhere mm-hmm. that we've been um, oh, in yeah. Canada. Yeah, at the minute, oh, cool. um, it just seems to be apart from the wind. It, it is a real problem. Like people don't think that. 
it was a problem, but it is. Other than that, it was great. Yeah. Oh, that was too, too. Because we went, um, before we went to back to see our friends there for Christmas, we were on the, in the South Island and the East side and we were near Christchurch. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one of the towns just outside and we had our, we'd been camping the next morning. We went to the local library to check internet and stuff. And we were sitting in this room in the library. There's a couple other backpackers from Germany, like at the next table. And then like, you know, the room starts shaking. <laughs> the first earthquake we'd ever experienced. And it wasn't like super strong where we were. We found out later it was a pretty big aftershock closer to the city. Yeah. But like I'd never experienced an earthquake before. And you know, like it kind of feels like a train or something, but it does. like it's yeah. a different type of movement. It's intense, it's kind of subtle, but it's really powerful. At least if you're I'm sure if you're right in the thick of it, it's pretty bad. But if you're a bit more the like, you know, the proximity to it then it's really obvious this is an earthquake and the whole room was just kind of shaking and like the strangest feeling isn't the strangest you you can't do anything literally you can't do anything you you have to just wait until it finishes and that could be awful in terms of like the damage but were you that what Mm -hmm. what year was that was that after the major one yeah yeah that's just it so we never saw christchurch um you know in its i guess original form before all the damage but it was pretty amazing and you know fascinating really to see the recovery beginning in Christchurch. Yeah. So when we were there, it was just, uh, it was New Year's basically of 2012 and oh, okay. the two big earthquakes had been like within the previous 12 months or so. Yeah. So there wasn't much left of the cathedral and a bunch of other buildings and a whole bunch were condemned. And when you go in the city center there, like if, the whole thing was virtually blocked off, but yeah. they town. were starting to build, uh, put in these shipping container uh yeah. to create like a pedestrian mall yeah, and bring great. life yeah. back to the city right so yeah yeah that's like a whole thing now the containers but when i went in 2013 yeah they the driver who's on the queue experience they're all kiwis he was just saying yeah. that the rule is they have to build uh down before anything goes up so they're building underground mm-hmm. first to make sure all the structures are sound pretty much and okay. it's a 15 20 year project at that time so that was what wow approaching 10 years ago i remember the first time i went there it was just a ghost town this is a building mm-hmm. site and then the second time in 2018 was much more life about it you know but you can still That's see good. the scars it's pretty scary yeah yeah one more question maybe australia just going to dip in there sure where did you live there or what did you do there was that work visa as well yeah yeah i worked yeah. permit um so this was the catalyst for the whole trip in the first place because i was in vancouver and working away and stuck in traffic doing my tours and everything <laughs> and i was like do I really, this 2009 now, do I yeah. really want to keep doing this, you know, year after year and like set down roots or I was approaching 30 years old and I, if I'm going to get a work permit and go to Australia, I better do it soon. Yeah. And I remember that was the moment I decided now it took like a year and a half to kind of plan my life and save money and all the rest mm-hmm. to get there. But in February, no, March of 2011, I arrived in Sydney yeah. as like the fulfillment of a dream of a lifetime to actually be there and just walk around and see the opera house. I did the bridge tour, the bridge climb and, yeah, awesome. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so that's cool. I didn't, I never planned to stay in Sydney. I just wanted to visit. I went out to the Blue Mountains, mm-hmm. I went to Canberra. I really like Canberra and, yeah. um, and then to Melbourne. So, uh, I really love Melbourne. That might be my still my favorite city in the world. Like secretly, it's mine. Secretly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big city. If you, I, yeah. I don't know if I would really live there because it's a big city. I don't know. Huge, yeah. Really like that big, but just in terms of the feel of it, you know, the neighborhoods they're so distinct, right? Yep. And have their own character and like traits and so on. Lots of multicultural and international flavor and so on. Yeah. And you know, just the setting you know, along this bay and there's beaches and stuff nearby and the beautiful parks and the trams is all really nice. So I was there for a little while, good 
well, I guess about three or four weeks um, total looking for a job. And I realized pretty quickly, like they don't really hire a lot of backpackers because they know you're going to like quit in a few mm. weeks, probably. So, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of immigrants anyway, a lot of people go to Melbourne to look for work. So it was hard at the time, at least to find transient type temporary work. Yeah. So, and also I should point out that was now like April at the time it was getting like 10 degrees Celsius, rainy, cloudy. Yeah. Well, I didn't really come to Australia for this. You know, I wanted to like sun and beaches and all that. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to Adelaide for a few days. I had a friend there. I liked Adelaide too. It's a nice city. Yeah. Um, but I didn't feel like staying. I flew up to Broome on the northwest nice. coast. Yeah, Western yeah. Australia. Thinking I might stay there because I knew it would be kind of a tourist seasonal work type hub. Um, and it was beautiful. It's still like one of the most stunning beaches I've ever been on, Cable Beach, which is just miles of incredible soft sand and mm. beautiful water and all the rest. It was pretty damn hot, though. It's, you know, 40-something <laughs> degrees. Yeah. So, so isolated. Like, it's just so far is, yeah. anywhere. Yeah. And I wasn't really feeling it. So at this point, it was like it would have been early May now. And I've been in the country for a good two months, running out of money, obviously. It's like, well, I don't know. I'll just take a plane and go down to Perth. As soon as I got off the plane in Perth, it was like 20 degrees Celsius, blue sky, beautiful. Like, Love Perth. This is nice. I'm going to stay yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't blame you. So within a week or so, I got a room and a flat with a guy in Fremantle. Nice. And, yeah. And um, then started looking for work. And it's kind of the same story. It was hard to find something temporary. But I ended up getting a job at Kohl's, the local grocery, yeah. the, the grocery chain, uh, delivering groceries to people's houses. So they would place their order and everything. And I, yeah. my shift was great because I'd show up kind of at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. All my groceries are ready for me. Oh. We'd all help each other load our trucks, these little refrigerator trucks. Yeah. And I had GPS. I mean, easy to know where to go. And I'd spend the, the rest of the day just driving around, dropping off people's groceries. So it was great. I got to see the whole city. Yeah. Lots of exploring. Meet lots of locals. They invite you in. Come on in, mate. Just put it over there. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and like chat. And you kind of see the differences, the similarities, differences in Canada and Australia and all the rest. And getting paid well. I mean, you know, minimum wage in Australia, even at the time, was like. Unreal. 15 bucks, I think, an hour. It's probably more yeah. than that now. Yeah, exactly. And more I was getting that, yeah. paid like almost 25 bucks an hour just to deliver groceries. Yeah. So yeah. this is what I learned, you know, as much as, yes, it's expensive in Perth, the cost of living's high, you go out for a pint of beer, it's easily $10, Yeah. Uh, you know, a burger or whatever, like you're looking at 30 bucks or more. But if you don't go out, at least you have the choice, at least you have the ability to save money. So I just by myself basically, and at the time, and just, you know, pocketed lots of money and did my mm. little job and saw the city and had a great time. So <laughs> it's Australia is an amazing place to recover for money. It's so good. Like you can, you can, you can yeah. spend it pretty quickly because it's expensive. But as soon as you get a normal job, like the coldest thing you've done, or even an office job that's temporary, yeah, yeah. you are going to get twenty five to thirty dollars an hour, and you can easily recover in um, a month or two, and you're back on your feet like pretty comfortably. And, and then you get your superannuation check. At the end. Oh, that doesn't exist anymore. Have you have you heard really? of this? Yeah, I, I got mine because uh, oh, it's wow. quite a few years ago now. But they they've changed the rules since uh, you and know, I've been there that. There used to be back in the day, you, you would experience this. You put your tax in and you get like, I think it's 80% back. You pay tax. Yeah, it's right. a huge check and your superannuation. You get both yeah. those come in. Well, that's about, it must be four or five years ago now. They introduced a backpacker rate. It's a fixed 15% rate. No oh. tax back on it. That is what you pay tax. So it's lower than normal people, but there's no yeah. tax rebate at the end of it. You just pay 15% of your wage and that's it. And the superannuation... Uh, that could still be the same, but it's definitely the the, mm. the normal income tax is different now. You can't just claim 
Uh, I think I've got like eight or nine thousand dollars back or something. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That was a nice check when I was in New Zealand. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, was in, yeah. I was in New York at the time. I was like, wow, I needed that big time. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I used to live in Margaret River, just further south. So oh, that was good. yeah, that's yeah. what yeah well that's it so i was in perth for about five months or four months maybe yeah and then emily came and joined me because she was still teaching at the time so she finished the school year yeah and then at the end of the summer in canada she came over to australia to meet me yeah. and she came out to perth and we rented we rented one of these little cars like with a fold-out tent on the roof so mm-hmm. we you know just go to campground and then you, the whole thing would fold open and this little ladder would drop down and we'd spend a week going around the the south coast of wa Nice. From, uh, Esperance, Esperance, so to the, yeah. yeah, to the yeah. point there, the Cape. Awesome little area. Yeah, great. Like there's vineyards, there's yeah, make cheese and port, and there's beaches and there's small <laughs> little towns. It really is. Yeah. I can't wait to get back actually and show Emma because mm. I almost feel like going home there a little bit. It felt really yeah. homely there. How long were you there? In almost Margaret? six months. Okay. Yeah, well, I actually ended up running out of money because the seasonal work wasn't great. So yeah. I done mine work. I worked in the kitchens in the mines. Okay. Um, so they flying out of Perth. So I've done yeah. that for about seven weeks um, with mm. a gap in between. Yeah. Um, yeah. That kind of bailed me out for money. So I've done the first six months in Melbourne and that was an office job and that was great. But they've got this weird rule in Australia that on your work permit, you can only mm. work for one employer for six months. Yeah. yeah. It changed. And that was a real ball lake. So I had to go and find other work. But what's something different? Like I worked on the farms in Australia, like in the vineyards, driving tractors. But okay. just the, the money wasn't brilliant and the, the days yeah. weren't guaranteed with work. So I had to huh. find something else. Um, yeah if people are interested in that sort of work i can probably give you a, a contact um mm-hmm. to, to get that work so yeah hit me up well people mostly do the farm work to get the visa extension right yeah. to get the extra year yeah 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 which i didn't get in the end um, yeah. so not a waste of time but didn't <laughs> didn't get the aim yeah but you can't just lie and get a second year anyway so mm. yeah, now did you me. ever go to tasmania no so uh, i worked with a girl here um she's gone back to australia called yeah. rochelle Hi, Rochelle. Mm. She had to be back because <laughs> her visa ended and she's from Adelaide. Okay. She told me, I think I want to go to Tasmania. I was like, really? She goes, yeah. yeah. Anyway, she just done a, a seven day multi-day hike in Tasmania. Yeah. And she said, it's absolutely incredible here. We're moving here. I was like, wow. Yeah, Tas is incredible. I mean, it's really, it's one of my favorite places I've ever been. Oh, wow. It doesn't feel like Australia. Yeah. People would say that. I mean, it is, but it's not, you don't get the red soil. You don't get the heat, of course. Mm there's beaches but they're colder cold water and all the rest yeah it's really quite different it's a lot more like new zealand just you know um weather wise and so on yeah but um yeah i mean it's it's again similar to canada i mean there's there's smaller cities and all the rest but most of the island is very sparsely populated and you can hardly get out there so they yeah. got that road up they along the outside of the island there's a little they road do, yeah there's, to some yeah. extent yeah yeah we, we drove a lot of that we rented a camper van um for a week and mm-hmm. uh one of my things up here is uh, my tasmania park pass for seven days <laughs> oh nice yeah yeah that's somewhere that i'd love to go to yeah i'm gonna ask you a question do you yeah. like see a picture of a place in you know national geographic or whatever and then set out to go there yeah i'm pretty relentless in trying to find sometimes they don't label what it is hmm. it could even be on social media right i'm like where is that yeah. yeah and i've got like a list on my phone of notes of places that i've never heard of but i've seen a picture of I'm like mm. i need to go there yeah i'm because I'd seen uh, this picture of Wine Glass Bay, which is in the east side of Tasmania. Okay. And it's like, it, it shows up in all the travel photos and all this, like this perfect picturesque beach. And you see it from above. There's this hiking trail that goes up to this kind of a bluff. And then you look down and you see this crescent white sand beach with like, you know, blue green water and mm-hmm. like 
there's not a soul in sight. There's just forest and beach and it's like absolutely pristine. So that was my desktop for like six months <laughs> <laughs> and we made it. It was cloudy, but we still went down to the beach and, you know, we saw it. Yeah, it's got to be done. I think I, I remember one very clearly. I've got loads, but when I did go to was Lanakai Beach in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I saw that on a, that was before smartphones. I must have saw it maybe, it's still social media, but yeah, I was like, where is that? So I left Australia to go to Hawaii. That was my first stop. So I made yeah. an effort to, it's on the main island where Oahu is, but it's on the other side, the opposite side, yeah. so Waikiki. So yeah, uh, when I got there, it was just as good as what I saw. And it still nice. is one of my favorite places to, to go to the beach. So we can see all day if we travel, but let's move on uh, because uh, it's getting late <laughs> yeah. for you because you're in Quebec. <laughs> so podcasting a website, tedcrag.com. Yeah, yeah. Please tell the listeners, what is your aim here? What are you offering and what sure. yeah, premise? Well, I've been podcasting for about four and a half years or so, um, just, you know, for fun and kind of building up the tool, the skills experience. I've always been interested in travel podcasts, particularly, and I realized at a time that for a party for the opportunity, but really just in general, like it's hard to kind of find them. It's hard to keep track of them. Who's doing what, who's active, who's kind of faded away, who's talking about what subjects and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, well, this is a chance to try to like promote the niche, the category. Cause even in like Apple in a podcast, you know, travel is like buried in one of these subcategories. I don't know if that ever changed, but at least it's kind of shuffled off to the side. And it's like travel is like the purpose we're doing right now is a perfect kind of content for all kinds of interesting conversations and mm. people and experiences and life-changing stuff and the things you learn and practical information, like great, great material for a podcast. So I've set out to just tried to make those connections, you know, to bring more people together to like shine a light on what people are doing and profile their shows and the people behind them. And, and as I developed this, because I started a new podcast earlier this year is travel podcast, the world, instead of travel, the world, you travel podcast, the world is kind of the hook. And yeah, yeah that's the idea is to profile what people are doing and how they talk about travel. And as this progresses, you know, we will, me and the people I talk to and the maybe build up some kind of community. We'll explore, well, how can we monetize? How can we provide services? Where's the value in that? And it comes back to me as then the podcast producer, because I'm obviously transitioning away from my job the last few years to basically work more in podcasting and find clients and all the rest. And I mean, you know, if you're doing audio editing, I mean, really you could do it on any kind of subject, but yeah. travel and tourism is my professional background and all the rest mm -hmm. so and i really like the industry i like working with the people and just getting their message out there so yeah okay. and how do you uh, that's a random question how did you find me out of interest um definitely through twitter i think oh, okay. it must yeah. have been through i don't know if i searched really i think that's just it you know people share and connect yeah and you i saw you from someone else but you start to lose track and I'm now I'm building this big spreadsheet, right? Of all the people <laughs> yeah. that I've talked to or that I want to talk to. And if you were listening, you know, I'll, if you haven't heard from me yet, you'll hear from me eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I've got some interesting thoughts about travel podcasts because I yeah, yeah. really went into it a bit blind. I just went, I, I just basically started one and started releasing no market research, nothing at all really. Hmm. Um, but from what I've seen the last year and a bit, it is pushed down. It's not a popular subject. And mm -hmm. um, my friend put it quite nicely to me. He said, yeah, don't worry about your figures because there's a war going on in Ukraine. Um, hmm. People in UK's energy bills are going up by 120%. No one hmm. wants to hear about travel because they basically can't do it. And it's a, it's a bit of a distant dream. So he said that's probably why you, you probably get news podcasts or, or true crime or sports even are probably more popular. But 
Yeah, what do you think the state of the travel podcast sector, what's it like now, do you think? Well, it's really only just developing. I mean, people okay. would say, yeah, there's whatever, hundreds or thousands of travel podcasts out there. But as I say, how many are really all that active and engaged? Yeah, and I think within the whole niche or industry of podcasting, we're still kind of developing the messaging and how to connect with people. You know, it reminds me when I was in Vancouver in 2009, and that was when the recession was happening. And the tourism industry took a hit, but not yeah. as much as we'd expected. And I would t- ask my guests on my bus, like, you know, did you still want to come traveling with everything happening? And they said, yes, because they realized if they still had the means for sure, but you know, they always wanted to go to Vancouver. A lot of people go mm-hmm. there to get on the cruise ships to Alaska. And if they, you know, they still had the means to do it, like they, they were going to do it. It was kind of a wake up call that you never know what might happen tomorrow, the next day, next year, then you won't be able to travel. Mm-hmm. I learned that people always prioritize travel if they care about it in the first place. So when you think about it, I mean, yeah, for sure. People might be obviously very preoccupied with all kinds of things going on, but we know that after the last two years, it's just such a pent up frustration and people want to get out and do something so i like to think that that will there'll be an opening for well travel podcasts podcasting in general it's growing so much and it's still a new industry you know i mean i talk with lots of people now and podcasting and producers and stuff and it's like podcasting is really only where say blogging or even youtube was yeah i don't know 10 years ago i mean it's still the early days and just how we really get into the deeper development of connecting with an audience and monetizing Mm. and providing value and you know fine-tuning your message and particular niches there's lots of things about entrepreneurship and like coaching and i don't know people do movie reviews and all this kind of stuff i think travel is just untapped there hasn't been enough people really exploring how to do it how to do it well how to sustain it how to do it on the road like we've talked about a bit yeah how to be really dynamic content because it's such great material for a podcast for the platform yeah it's interesting point about the people who are doing it currently because i when i first started i got yeah admittedly quite a few friends but also listeners to put some reviews on podchaser yeah it's like the imdb of podcasts if you're if you're not sure yeah, what that great. is and i i just put i popped in the search bar travel podcast as a tag mm. and i'm you know straight in at like number six i was like i can't be number six i just started <laughs> but now i'm number two and it doesn't mean i'm the best but i'm like why is that so i started looking to the ones around it none of them are active like mm-hmm. last episode maybe two years ago they've got great ratings don't yeah yeah still there they're still up there in terms of ratings but no no relevant content now yeah I'm like this is no one well when i when i started there's no one really doing it and mm. that is a few people who i love who've come onto the podcast like yourself and mm. a few other people who started i'm like yeah great they're kind of going into that sphere now but it's just an yeah. interesting genre because you'd never run out of content and you'd never really do it in person unless you're on the road traveling itself because mm. all the people that you speak to are either traveling or they're probably met you know they probably live somewhere else right yeah yeah it's quite an interesting dynamic yeah i suppose it's in a sense it's a challenge to put the logistics together but you know people are generally connected and you can find those guests who are out there traveling Mm. um and often it is you talking in retrospect about a trip that you did or yeah that kind of thing if you're giving reviews of a place or a guidebook style but um yeah i think i'm really interested in exploring why people don't keep going with a show that's otherwise obviously a great show and people like it and you can see it in the reviews you know what's what makes you stop doing it and it's probably the workload of course yeah but there's ways around that we can work to figure out how to you can do it more sustainably 
I think that's the question I have. Like, I ask Emma all the time. Like, why do people just stop? Why don't they carry on? Like, it's not it's like something you could, you could. It's a lot of work. I get that. <laughs> but I, I didn't even think about it from that point of view. I thought it'd just be content. Like, mm. I can imagine a podcast. I don't know if you're doing about. I don't know, Jimi Hendrix, who I love, right? If I did a podcast about him, I'd love to do that. It's like mm-hmm. a side thing. But once you exhaust all the personal details of Jimi Hendrix and all the gigs and all the songs, you, you can mm. get to a point where there is no more. And that's it. That's fine. Like, you reach the end. But with travel, there's always a country. There's always someone's story. There's always different stories. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Even when you travel yourself with the podcast, you can yeah. do something every day that's new. Like it, That's where I yeah. see the gap is a podcast that's actively doing it. A travel mm. podcast that you're actually traveling at the time you're recording and you're getting out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, that's where I see the gap, I think, from my point of view. Yeah. So I think the answers are out there, you know, at least to explore how to do this and, and sustain it. And because mm. I think it's a particular approach to creating travel content because you're out there on the road or because it's a little harder to find guests and they may not have the same kind of connection, the internet and all the rest. It's a challenge, but it sure is worthwhile. And the other thing too, I know this is a factor, is that when people think about travel and content and all the rest, they think about video, right? Or may, or certainly Instagram. Yes. And where does the audio side fit in, right? Yes. And so even though we're recording a video, I mean, essentially it's a conversation that's audio. Yeah, yeah it's audio. And yeah. that's the whole point. And I love audio. I have nothing against video, but I want to hear those conversations. Mm. When you do, if you have a YouTube channel on travel, I mean, you got to be really good at video editing and I'll have the content, of course, for that too. Um, but it's the attention span, right? You can't, you have to do a cut every like few seconds or you just yeah. lose people. A 10 minute yeah. video is a super long video. A yeah, 30 true. minute podcast is a short podcast. Yeah. People listen to podcasts because they want the conversation. They want mm. the deep dive. You say, we're going to talk about uh, not even like just Quebec. We're talking to talk about Montreal or uh, a neighborhood of Montreal, right? Mm. Like you break down all these like niches and stuff and like that could be a good 30 40 minute conversation and people are interested of course then you know they'll want to hear that and the people listen to podcasts for a purpose because they want to be immersed they want that intimacy they want to hear like the person in the ears they're doing while they're driving they're cooking they're working out or something and you know they're able to just really close their eyes and be immersed in the moment and you just don't get that with other mediums they all have their pros and cons Mm. and their strengths but i just really would like to see more just emphasis and quality and creation and and making the most of this platform, this medium for travel content itself, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I totally agree. And I, I've got, obviously, if you have ideas, we could go on all day. But, like, also, <laughs> I, I was thinking the other day that travel journalists, right, they, when they, so I had Emma Thompson who come on a few yeah. episodes ago, and she's, like, a well-known travel journalist, and especially in the UK. She hmm. would go on tours and she'll have a niche of like maybe up and coming countries that need tourism, mm-hmm. go on a tour with a tour company, write about it, write about the country, write about the tour. And I'm like, well, with podcasts, and why can't you offer the same, but do a podcast series on it? Yeah. So not only, uh, so Emma could still go and do the writing, but you'd maybe like speak to maybe the, the tour operator one day and maybe someone on the tour with you the next day and maybe a local yep. guide who's with you. Imagine having yep. that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 day uh yeah little snippets not not long could be 10 mm-hmm. 15 minutes but that's like, like that'd yeah. be awesome wouldn't it and, and i'm sure tour companies would be like oh yeah we'll have that yeah yeah sure especially that's, if that's a, cool. it's a mini type series it's like yeah. a dozen episodes that are i don't know 10 15 minutes people can listen to it pretty quickly yeah and you know part of the thing i've learning for sure with podcasting and and people thinking of starting one it's like well don't i have to do one every single week isn't it this like ongoing commitment like 
you know, it's intimidating. It's overwhelming. It is. And You're right. I mean, you don't have to think of it that way. You can do it in seasons. You can say, I'm going to do yeah. two months worth of episodes and then I'm going to take a break or I'm going to do shorter episodes or, you know, uh, seasonal episodes. You could base it around a theme or a topic. Mm. And as mm. long as you explain that to your audience, this is the way my podcast works. You were going to do a season that lasts two months. Then we go on a break and then we'll be back. The people aren't left hanging because what you're saying, you go and you search for something and like, well, where do they go? They were a great show. And like, they never tell you that they stop. They just stop. Of course, if you're mm -hmm. intentional about it, then people know what to expect. And it makes exactly. it so much more sustainable for the creator. It's not overwhelming. And it might end up that you enjoy it so much and, you know, you're getting some traction and maybe you do end up doing it on a more regular basis. But mm -hmm. if you start, I think with that smaller mini series, seasonal type approach, that's a great entry point. Yeah. There's no right or wrong way of doing this that, that's yeah. the i guess the point here oh, yeah. right um yeah. personally just me we'll come to yours in a bit mm. personally i get one every monday that's my yeah that's my goal i have some in the bank in case i just don't have the time to get any interviews done but i do have uh, monday is my thing whether that's even a solo episode for 30 minutes i'll do that if needs but mm. um, that's my thing and yeah people do it in seasons as well so can mm. you tell us your podcast regularity and yeah you get guests on or do you do solo episodes like what what so far, it's all guests. I, yeah. I let well. So I publish every Tuesday. I chose Tuesday just um, to even for my own purpose, just so I have an extra day on Monday in case I'm running at the last minute or trying yeah. to catch up. And of course, the goal really is to like get ahead. And I've been pretty good so far. It's only been a couple months or so, but you know, it's nice having that extra day. And Tuesday is a nice day. It's fine to launch. So, yeah. um, so that's my schedule. I really try to keep my episodes. I tell people. I tell guests when i'm pitching them like they're about 25 minutes of um conversation i'll do a little intro afterwards and there's theme music and all the rest so it might be mm -hmm. 30 minutes or so but i i don't want to have like 45 60 minute episodes i want them to be short enough people can listen to it yeah. you know learn about the person i'm talking about learn about their show we talk a bit about podcasting we chat a bit about travel stories and you know and that's it so that's that's really my goal and it's been a good um it's been a good workflow so far okay yeah. And can I ask quickly about this multipod, the oh, sure. community? What What is that? <laughs> well, this is a whole other change. So if I was to ask you, you might be a good candidate for this. Um, <laughs> what do you want to do with your life? Where do you want to work? What do you want to do for a career? What do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> I've, I've, I've never known. But I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to do something that's not in the travel industry. So it has to be within travel. Okay. And it would be remote. So I, I have the option of being either back home in Norwich where I'm from, if I come to Vancouver, could go to mm. Melbourne for a month, like on a tourist visa, if you like, but doing yeah. remote work. So whatever that is, I'm trying to work out my seven streams of income right now. That's book, <laughs> Patreon, digital travel planner, blah, 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 blah. That's, <laughs> that's what I want to do. So you might be a multi-potentialite, which is essentially <laughs> someone um who has lots of multiple interests. These are people usually with, you know, multiple degrees. They, they go to school often, they change careers and the friction or the challenge, the conflict is that we really have trouble fitting into that specialist stream that society these days trains most people to do. Like you have to choose that one thing. Yeah. That's going to be your career. Hopefully you'll find a job in it. You might mm. have to move. You might have to go wherever you have to go, but you're trained to do this one thing. And that's going to be your career. 
and there's more and more people for sure recoiling against that. But multi-potentialites go back, I think, farther, like um, in just resisting that thing. There's because there's so much that we want to do. Purposely want to have different jobs, different careers, different degrees, because you're so curious. Very, very curious yeah. people. Um, people like going way back, like Leonardo would be famous for that. P- people who just pursue all kinds of different things, and Einstein is another famous example. Mm. And like they just don't want to do the one thing. So. It all comes back to this community then. It's called the putty verse because putty, you're malleable, you're you know, someone who can go any kind of way. Um, basically, it brings people together who have that like-minded thing. But again, with that common kind of conflict in that we've always struggled against this specialized kind of world and we've had trouble committing to that one thing. And you're always surrounded yeah. by people who don't get it. It's like, why are you always changing about jobs? It. Why yeah. can't you just commit to something, you know? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Why did you quit that job? And it's often about work, but it's not completely about a career, but a lot of that is. So it's just kind of a, a place for, you know, like-minded people to come together. I found this about five, five years ago, actually, almost to the day. Um, and just to join the community. And pretty quickly, I said, well, hey, this is like great fertile ground for a podcast because there's so many fascinating people from all around the world that are part of this community. There's hundreds of people there now. Mm. So the the organizers of the community were like, yeah, sure, we'll we'll pay for your hosting and you can have a podcast. And so there's been a few of us who've helped put it together, which is nice. It's not all on my shoulders. I'm kind of the producer and I keep things moving, but mm. there's other co-hosts and people take turns doing episodes. And yeah, we just chat with these fascinating people from all around the world, which is great for me too, because that's really where I developed my podcasting skills. So everything from audio editing and the production side to being a good interviewer and mm. knowing how to speak on a microphone and just, you know, keeping the flow of conversation going and writing show notes and the publicity and all this kind of stuff. So it's a public show. You can search for The Multipod in any podcast app. It's publicly available. I mean, the audience is basically people in the community or who are, you know, interested in the community. But um, yeah, it's been a really, really good experience. And we've been doing that for just over four years, which is an eternity for a multi-potential. Wow. <laughs> Wow, yes, commitment. <laughs> yeah. Because what you said is struggling to commit. I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's been, and it really, if anything, I, I set out, we're going to publish episodes every two weeks. Yeah. And aside from taking little summer breaks, we've done that ever since. So, and can we find that podcast and your other podcast on the same platforms, right? Spotify, Apple. Yeah, yeah it's all out there. Yeah. All the above. Okay. And, mm-hmm. Quickly, before we go on to the features, you do offer some services, podcasting services. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I guess that's editing, uh, maybe helping someone launch a new podcast, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's kind of two packages, I guess. And I'm still working out some of the nuts and bolts, but it really does come down to what people need, obviously what their budget is, but really what people need. I mean, often it's about question of time. They, I may work with people who have a podcast and they know what to do. They've been editing their podcast for you know a year or more, but they just don't have the time anymore. And maybe they're going to a stage where they can afford to take someone on to edit it. Yeah. So yeah, so there's that. But I really do like helping people plan and launch their show. Mm-hmm. So that's where we sit down and think, you know, well, what are you really thinking of doing here? What's your objective? Who's your audience? Not just what your topic is, but what are you really going to talk about? And can you see that playing out over, you know, the length of your schedule you don't have to publish every week it might be every two weeks or once Mm. a month but can you kind of envision that and how your show will come together and i help them with that uh just some of the practical side the 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 tech you need and the hosting and all that kind of stuff give that direction and we sort out the cover art and the music and put all these pieces together and then i'll get their first three episodes usually ready and do all the editing show notes publicity the whole deal and launch their show 
Now, often at that point, of course, they still need some help and I may help them with their editing, but at least mm-hmm. they get the show going, right? And with a good yeah. foundation. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's an area that I've seen a, a few people pop up and offer. Yeah. I've, I've been recommended a few guys as well. So yeah, that's uh, that's cool. And I think mm-hmm. some people have asked me, like, would you do that? And it's interesting because <laughs> it, 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 it's a potential income for me to do. But if I'm deep down, do, do I love editing? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to it, like editing. <laughs> yeah, you do because it... it you can't wing that. You really have to like put time and effort. Yeah. I, I put a ridiculous amount of hours into my for this podcast because I just mm. have to. There's no one else. But if I had the money, yeah. in, would I get someone to do it for me? Yeah, I would hundred percent. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. I mean, you know, it, obviously, it, it does depend on well your budget and your return and the investment you want to make. Um, I do like to see people do a little bit of cleanup and stuff to just kind of set up their episode and their recording. Mm. But I mean, you know. It, there's people that over edit, I think, and they cut too much and it makes it seem a natural conversation sound like it's scripted. And I like yeah. to hear a bit more of the natural flow when I'm editing and leave some things in spaces and, you know, a bit of laughing uh, or stuff like that. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I do leave some of those in actually. I think yeah. uh, I have the same thought as you. I think if you cut all of them out, they're like, oh, he never says, uh, uh no, I do. Um, <laughs> 100% I do. Yeah, yeah. You want to sound more human, really. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we can find you at tedcrag.com. Yeah, and your podcast, um, Travel Podcast, the world is available everywhere, and the MultiPod as well. Yeah, and I'll put all the links in the show notes so you can find those services as well. So no worries about Thanks. that. Thanks. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, this is a travel must-have. So you're going on a trip tomorrow, and you're packing. I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Okay, but I'll keep you too long then. <laughs> <laughs> I know. On your Spotify or your listening service, if you're going to choose three artists, who would you mm. have um, for those long bus rides or those plane rides or road trips? Well, Who's on there? It is a little tricky because if I was, if you're in the car, then the kids would have to kind of enjoy it or else <laughs> they complain. But yeah, I, I, I'm a musician too. I've played piano since I was five years old. And okay. I love, uh, I love jazz and jazz rock, kind of jazz influenced stuff, R&B okay. and soul and things. A lot of music from the 70s and 80s. But lately, I had no clue until the Grammys. I'd never heard of Silk Sonic. And they're pretty cool. They, they really get the groove. Oh, and like, okay. they, they dig right back to like Stevie Wonder and um, Earth, Wind & Fire and like classic groups nice. like that. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're really good. Okay. So you like your jazz? Uh, yeah. I was forced to do jazz at university, my degree. So... <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with it. Mm. Uh, I love people like Wes Montgomery, like stuff yeah. like that. Um, mm. I was in Miles Davis as a classic kind of blue album. Is that was incredible, but yeah, but I'm not into like what I would call a kind of fancy, intricate jazz. I mean, I appreciate mm. it, but um, I, I do like more pop style music. You know, jazz rock, where it's, yeah. it's music you can play. I want to be yeah. able to play a song. You know, fairly straightforward. It was a bit of practice, but if the things that other like you had to be really technically uh, proficient to play it, mm. that kind of interests me. That's I really do like music that I can play too. So yeah, uh, Steely Dan's good example. Like they have very oh, yeah. songs, but yeah. I you can learn how to play them. Yeah, yeah, and sing and along and stuff. Yeah. So, so I'll tell you someone who, if you don't know music that well, Stevie Wonder, they're mm. jazz songs, but in a pop format. So if yeah. people are thinking, oh, who is that person? Stevie Wonder is a guy. Stevie Wonder does. Basically, yeah. jazz compositions, but tweaked for pop, yeah. and that's why it's so successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, what's the one film that you'd have uh, maybe to watch? I often say my favorite movie is Office Space. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> because it was when I realized that I don't want to live that kind of life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, the one TV series? I still watch a lot of Seinfeld clips, even just on YouTube. Oh, Seinfeld, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I like a lot of satire. South Park, you know, and yeah. things That's like it. that. I mean, I, I, would, I knew every word of The Simpsons for the first like 12 years until they kind of became redundant. But yeah. I always loved The Simpsons too, the classic ones. Okay. Cool. I don't watch that TV though. I mean, that's another thing. I we do a bit of streaming and stuff, but don't have time, and it doesn't interest you as much anymore. Yeah, I feel with lockdown as well that I just I feel like completely TV. Yeah, uh, I'm almost fed up with it a little bit. Hmm. Okay, this can be a current one. So, do you have a book that you're reading that you would take with you at the minute? You know the movie uh, High Fidelity. Yes. Yeah. And you know the scene where he's reorganizing his vinyl, and the guy comes in. He's like, "How are you doing it alphabetically, chronologically?" <laughs> By date, no, autobiographically. I have yeah. got to find an album. I've got to know when I bought it, from where. Yeah, I kind of did that with some of my favorite books. And so everything is from some books that I've collected since, but about like the Titanic. I was fascinated with Titanic when I was like eight or 10 years old. Okay. Um, but that's the things that I, um, again, Pierre Burton, though, actually, there's a great, I think his best book is called The Arctic Grail. Okay. You should, if there's any, honestly, if there's any book you should read, you in particular, but anyone who's interested in the North, who's been Yukon or anything, explorers, yeah. um, any of that kind of Arctic stuff. And he tells the story of all these ex- incredible explorers from, you know, Norway and, and Britain and so on, who just went out like, you know, had no idea what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And most of them died and they, you know, disappeared and all the rest. Some of them came back and they were able to tell the story. Yeah. But, I often point out it's one of my all-time favorite books, and it's just a gripping history, you know, from start to finish, right okay. up till Amundsen when he was the first to reach the North Pole. Yeah. Okay. And that's kind of the conclusion of it. Okay, cool. And this might be an interesting one. What's the one podcast that you'd have to listen to when you're away? <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, there's a lot for sure. Well, I do listen to a lot of travel ones. The Armchair tra- Armchair Traveler is a good one. Oh uh, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hope that I'll have him on my show at some point when I get yeah. a little bigger. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh he's a good one to set the standard, I think, of conversation and you know, exploring places, but a lot of that deeper conversation too, which is yeah. nice to really get to understand a place and the people who have been there. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, slightly different turn here. So like one piece of clothing that you just have to take. The best decision I made traveling through Southeast Asia was to wear Crocs. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. I didn't know what I was going to wear. And when we left New Zealand, we flew to uh, Singapore. We had a bunch of other stuff and big backpacks, which we shipped home yeah to canada from auckland and because we want to travel tra- uh, carry on which we did but where are we going to wear on our feet and i didn't i never really i never been to southeast asia or anything it's like mm. i didn't want to wear flip-flops and flimsy shoes but the crocs are amazing and like doesn't matter how dirty they get or mud or whatever else you're stepping in you just wash them off i still have them in my closet here they're like incredible souvenirs now yeah. of all the thousands of steps that i did with it so <laughs> okay that was a good one cool and one bonus snack maybe from home that you just tuck away in the back of the backpack just for a rainy day maybe some kind of popcorn okay. but uh yeah i'm not really a snacky person that's a good question <laughs> I, I remember in india we pick up kind of cheetos like um cheesy snacks in this little yes. packet but they're masala yeah. and they're like they're delicious but they're super super spicy, spicy. yeah exactly oh, yeah. spicy right yeah wow i have the most amazing masala scrambled egg masala in a, a toaster sandwich in India. Nice. One must-have item that you must travel with. To give you an example, I can't live without my like, wireless headphones that are always cancelling. That has to be oh, okay. a thing that goes in. I'd have to say a travel towel, a good one. Ah, uh, good and one. And I've had yeah. a few. Yeah. And if they're not good, if they don't dry out well, then they'll get pretty stinky pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> we were in New Zealand and we stayed 
in a campground north of Christchurch. We just left, and now we come back around. Actually, we are heading north towards um, Picton mm-hmm. and um, uh, Blenheim. I think we'd stayed in Kai. No, that's right. Okay, we were heading to Kaikura. Oh yeah, we'd been in Akaroa outside yeah. Christchurch the night before. Christian. Yeah, that's a pretty long drive. It's winding drive. It's like three or four hours or something. And we were almost at Kaikura, and I realized we left our travel towels on the on the line, the laundry line at the yeah. hostel in, in Akaroa. And like, well, I'm not going back to get those. <laughs> <laughs> that was brutal. We had to find some more, of course, but they weren't the same quality. So yes, I really, even now, like, you know, we're, we're going to Quebec city tomorrow just for a night, just for a change of pace. And yeah. it's holiday weekend here. It I'll is, bring yeah. a travel towel. You never know where you're going to get. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks for those. Uh, it's a great little insight. And now we're going to finish some quick fire travel questions. Uh, these are their yeah. favorite things. Quick ones, and then we'll wrap up. Hey, yeah, just a quick one before we carry on with the travel questions. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as T-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast, and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. So, I'll give you top three, your three favorite countries that you've been to. New Zealand's number one. I guess India. It was really intense and everything, but it was a fulfillment of a dream and stuck with us ever since. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, Australia for sure. I'm really glad I saw as much of it as I did Mm. and, you know, really, really felt at home there. But uh, before that, you go back even farther. I was, I was always fascinated with England and the UK and, and it was one of my favorites too. So okay, uh, what about a favorite beach that you've been to? Ah, well, again, it has to be Cable Beach. Yeah, in the yeah northwest Australia there. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's been a few other more like colder, temperate beaches. I remember I was in Norfolk in your corner. Oh, of what? the world, as in UK? Yeah, yeah. Where from uh, back in 2003, oh, wow. I'd been oh, interesting. Yeah. to there's a hostel, and I looked it up the other day because I was thinking about this in. On the north coast, do you know Scalt Head, Burnham? Burnham Set Market? Yeah, yeah, around that area. Burnham's a, next to sea. Yeah, yeah well, as you go and um, catch crabs there. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, yeah. very popular place. So I'd stayed in this farm type hostel in yeah. uh, Burnham area. Uh, Burnham Deepdale, that's what it is. Okay. Anyway, and there was a uh, there's a path across the road and you wander down through like the dunes and to, you know, to the sea. I mean, it yeah. was August, but it was still pretty chilly. But like, there's nobody around. It's a beautiful beach, and there was like a couple seals just like playing on the beach, like ten feet away from me. Mm. And like, yeah, it was just one of those moments I've always remembered. Like, it was quiet, and there's no one else around, and like, it's just kind of a standout moment, you know? Oh wow, bit of yeah. um, bit of home for me there. Yeah, yeah. There's a place called Holcomb next to it. Mm. Um, it's known for its seals. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a popular thing on Boxing Day. People go for a dip in the sea or to go and watch seals. So. Nice. Um, that area, Burnham, Brancaster, up there mm-hmm. is now very expensive because a lot of people from mm. London have their second homes there. So it's a, 
They call it Chelsea on the Sea. So okay, interesting. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Uh, but lovely area. Not I've not really checked that out that much, believe it or not. Can you give <laughs> more like the other side? Yeah. There you go. Okay. Hmm. Uh do you drink coffee? All the time. Okay, cool. Two questions. One, <laughs> you can choose one city in the world to drink coffee and watch the world go by for an afternoon. And number two is what country's coffee is your favorite? They're both probably Australia and Melbourne. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I yeah. love that in Melbourne. Like you'd even go to a Seven Eleven, and like <laughs> the 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 self dispensing coffee machine would have grinds at the top. It would grind it right away from you. Can't get yeah. a bad cup of coffee in in Melbourne. And people would have like their their little coffee bar they go to, their barista make their exact order and all the rest. Like they take it very very seriously. Yeah, and and do. you don't you know in Canada we have our Tim Hortons and this kind of oh. like syrupy coffee, right? <laughs> and you can't get anything like that in Australia. It's flat whites. It's it's espressos and americanos and all the rest and that's just a standard coffee so yeah that yeah. took it up a notch when i was there <laughs> <laughs> that that really was the same for us in wellington that was a different level yeah like, okay yeah. The, the game is it's got nice out. to see flat whites now in canada the last yeah, you can years. find them yeah yeah 100 yeah. and you can have a couple here some of your favorite cities in the world well i mean besides melbourne and stuff we've talked about portland did you go to portland oregon yeah yeah that portland yeah 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 portland's really nice yeah yeah uh i didn't spend enough time there but i and i love to go back in the summer but it's really neat there's so many neat little bookshops and breweries and yeah stuff it's great around and it's awesome yeah i really like istanbul ah really it's a big city for yeah. sure but you know we came we went there from mumbai we left india and after five weeks for three months really in asia and india and we flew to istanbul first and we spent six days around istanbul and we went down to gallipoli too yeah. But I really liked it in that it's, I mean, it's cliche, but it's that bridge between East and West yeah, Europe yeah. and Asia. Yeah. And it's true, you know, and the subtle things kind of, it's like in India, you'd never drink tap water, of course. In Istanbul, you could, and it might be a little careful, but you could, you yeah. know, it's, it's a busy, busy place. It's, it's not quite as clean as a place like Paris or something, but mm. it's certainly not as dirty as Delhi, you know, or anything yeah. else. So I really found it as a really good bridge between where we were coming from and where we were going and mm. just, you know, the history and the location of it and all the rest and architecture, of course. I mean, really one of the most stunning things I've ever, ever, ever seen is um, Hagia yes. Sophia. It's <laughs> <laughs> around here somewhere. Uh, oh, I've got a map just, you can just kind of see the edge yeah. of it here. That's yeah. the, the outlay of it. And just to think, you know, the, the geometry of it, right. The engineering, building something like this in like the year 500 mm. you know and it's still standing even through earthquakes and all the rest and like this is massive indoor space that was a real moment being there that was pretty cool okay that's awesome yeah i've not been yeah. to turkey so that's on my mm. um not not hit list but it's, it's, it's close yeah but yeah what about a favorite trek or walk well i should be partial really to the rockies because i've done a lot of them <laughs> yeah but no i did do a little bit of the kepler track in new zealand okay which was near our hostel there where we were working yeah and uh you can people could really rush through it in a day usually you'd take two or three days to take your time hmm. and you know this in the great walks new zealand there's cabins along the way and you have to book a spot but you know you get at least a place to sleep and it's all ready for you a little kitchen but we could walk up to the top of like the summit of the kepler track and there's all like fjord land and like lake tiano and you know big mountains that mm. are really far back and inaccessible and so on from the top of this mountain and you could see the little hostel like way way down across the valley from the top of the summit so that was really neat 
Nice. But okay. I mean, there's tons too in the Rockies. I mean, yeah, they, um, I imagine. As I say, in Lake Louise, if you climb up above Lake Louise past the tea house, yes, you can get up to a couple summits there, and you're looking way down on Lake Louise, way at the bottom, and uh, it's not that difficult. There's no like tricky scrambling or anything. You just kind of keep going. Yeah, yeah, amazing views at the top there. Crazy. Cool. Okay, if you were to have three countries like on your hit list of places to go to that you've not been to. Where would, mm-hmm. internationally, where would they be? I guess number one would be Portugal, where we're hoping to go yeah. uh, later this year, maybe early next year. I mean, I feel bad. We never made it to South America, not yet. Okay. And Peru has been on our list for a long time. That would probably be more heavy duty. Like we've often thought of taking a year off, go to Peru, teach English, be immersed in Spanish, great yeah. experience for the kids. Awesome. Yeah, know? yeah. We might do that. And I'd really love to see Argentina too. Yeah. So, yeah, see more South America in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the other place, and now I've learned a lot more about it producing this podcast, is Morocco. Oh, yeah, of course. And realize yeah. it's really an amazing place. Like, it's this kind of crossroads, you know. It's like kind of, um, it kind of has this mythical type feel. Like, it's kind mm. of remote and mysterious. Yeah. And yet, it's still accessible. It's easy to get there. It's like in Europe's doorstep. It's very easy to travel around. So yeah. it's kind of a mix of both worlds. And now I've been learning more, a lot more about it. And like, yeah, I really want to go see it now. These amazing places in Fez and Marrakesh and yeah, know, yeah, Asawira yeah, next to the ocean. Yeah. So uh, we might get there too, soon too. A country's favorite, you know, cuisine or food. My favorite f- cuisine is Indian food. Yep, same as mine. It was yeah. an absolute joy to go there. And, you know, you get this most incredible meals for like $2 or something. Every day. Yeah. Ugh. I was here. We were in uh, Jodhpur and in the market square. And I went to look for samosas. And this guy, like this big kind of walk of like bubbling oil and samosas floating around, right? Yeah. And they were like 15 rupees or something. Yeah, like, so You cheap. know, 10 cents, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, India's number one. I would say pretty close. Mexican food or Thai food would be close two or three. They're my three. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They, are, they are my three. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, we, we also actually, partial to Italian food though too. Like yeah, good fresh always, Italian food. Yeah. Always get says Italian food. Yeah, I get it, but I can't say it because I never had Italian food in Italy. Yeah, I've been there once, and that was like a long time ago, so I can't really say that. Um, but I've not had Mexican food technically, so yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> who cares? But yeah, in India, we stayed in. Enjoy Salmir for two weeks volunteering on a camel safari and oh, cool. yeah. used to get um, food delivered to us for free as part of the, part nice. of the volunteering and that was unbelievable like local food yeah. Yeah, <laughs> nothing better yeah. okay a couple more hmm. uh, if you can live in another country that you've not lived in before where would that be well maybe besides Peru um, I don't know that's a good uh, question maybe Japan oh yeah I feel yeah. Japan I know a lot of people who have lived there and I think some people are really fascinated with Japan, you know, and like really make a point of going there and they teach English and stuff. And it's kind of been on the fringe for me. I've been interested. It's never a priority to go, but I think that might just be a place that when you choose to go, you embrace it and you really dive in the culture and the history and the food and everything else. And like, Mm. if I was in the right state of mind and we were ready for it, yeah, that'd be a fun place to live. Yeah. I think I agree. We were there for four weeks and I felt like we'd even touch the surface. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those places that we would say we'd go back and we don't really want to go back because mm. there's too many other places to go to, right? But that is one place we, would, we said we would go back. Yeah, okay. It's that good. Hmm. Okay. And do you have a favorite lake being Canadian? Actually, I do. And we're looking forward to seeing more of it. Um, north of where we're moving to, 
in, there's a national park. It's mm-hmm. called La Mauricie. And there's a, a beautiful lake. It's called Lac Normand. Yeah. Like Norman Lake. And there's a, a campground there. It's quite popular, actually. It's often booked out, but the family has connections, I think. So we can often go in and <laughs> spot. And it's fairly remote. You have to drive in this long, windy road, like a, a forest road for like 45 minutes off the main highway to get there. Mm. So it's not overcrowded by any means. And I've only been there once, but I'm looking forward to going back. It's the cleanest water I've ever seen. It's a shallowish lake. You can walk out, you know, a hundred feet or more, nice little beach and swimming. You can hike around the whole lake and it's just a really nice mix. It's a nice campground. I mean, full services and all that, but you're definitely a lot more remote in nature as close as you want to be. And the water's stunning. I mean, pretty much any lake in Canada is just incredible. Yeah. Water. Too much choice. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to that some more. Okay, cool. And two more questions left. The penultimate question is, what has, in your experience, been the best country for value of money? Like, where does your dollar go the furthest? Uh, I guess India. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested to see what it's like now, because that was 10 years ago, but it probably hasn't changed too much. Mm. Um, We, I used to know this stuff by heart. We spent, I don't know, maybe $2,000 at the most over five weeks in India. Yeah, I was trained, self accommodation, food, attractions, you know, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. We spent almost as much in five days in Paris as we did in five <laughs> weeks in uh, India. <laughs> that does, doesn't surprise but me. But here's the thing, and this is a really key point. I remember in India, when you come, when you when you're coming from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, States, and so on, like you only have so much money. You got to choose what you want to do. There's bungee jumping. There's like jet boat tours. There's, you know, all kinds of other activities and tours and hang gliding and hot air balloons. And they all cost like hundreds of dollars. And you can only really choose one, one or two in India and Asia too. But in India, you can, you can do it all. I mean, <laughs> you have the money and yeah, yeah, just feel yeah. like, so this is how rich people live i guess yeah like, we can do all these things for sure and it just time. opens up your horizons it's like we can do it all we can eat here we can we can try all these things because you know it's a fraction of the the expense it would be anywhere else so okay actually got one more cheeky question before the last question which is important you mentioned activities what's been your favorite crazy activity that you may have done i did a lot of whitewater rafting for sure okay in the rockies yeah. <clears throat> once the guide fell in and i had to pull him back in the boat oh wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> I did the Canyon swing just North of uh, Queenstown oh, classic in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which I didn't really like It's a bit of adrenaline overload really, but <laughs> I did it. I did it. Fair. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last question. If you were to convince someone why they should go traveling based on what you've yeah. done maybe previously and even like even to more recent times, why should they go traveling? Because there's no greater education and do it while you can for sure um it's no greater way to push your boundaries challenge yourself learn about yourself learn about other people the world really does start to feel smaller when you really get out there to see it Mm. you know firsthand and nothing can compare so if you if you have the chance at all go do it brilliant okay ted thanks for coming on that's been a great chat it's actually gone on longer than we thought i know i think it's been an awesome chat i know you don't really do this long so (laughs) we appreciate you making time and sticking with it and i can't wait to release this podcast out i always feel great at the end of an episode because i feel like i've learned something new yeah it's been fun lots of fun awesome cheers ted thank you for listening to my winging it travel podcast episode today you can find me on instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel Podcast. You can search for both. 
I release weekly clips of this podcast episode, as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels, and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.